0: This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Yes, good afternoon, and welcome to this is episode 39. Did you know that? 39 of In Class with Dr. Gray Carr. That's Dr. Gray Carr. I'm Karen Hunter.
1: Professor Karen Hunter, who works as the hardest working human being in the universe. That is the truth. Well, you, you had five full-time jobs. Now you're added I 39 do. and counting episodes.
0: Listen, I, I am black and free in America. In order to stay free, I got to make sure which is why I wanted to talk about Dave Chappelle today because, you know, listening to him and, and watching the, the entire Unforgiven, I was thinking about something that um, you said the very first time I met you, you sat in the studio. And during the during the commercial break, you looked over and you were like, This we live? Like, like you were shocked that we were talking about the things we were talking about as I guess as boldly. And then as you said it, I thought about it. And I was like, I think most people who sit in these seats are still trying to curry white favor, are still trying to placate white feelings, and are still in some way they realize they're dependent upon that, that, that white approval for their livelihood. So therefore there's always a line, unless you are way, you know, unless your nation of Islam is, you know, unless you're, you're really outside of the realm of, you know, what this media thing is, you're going to walk a certain kind of way. And, you know, I realized I didn't want to do that. So I go, I show up every day with the possibility that they're going to tell me I can't come back. So I'm gonna leave it all. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say what I need to say. Cause I never want to go home and say, man, I had this platform for six years, and I didn't say this, this, and this. And I wish I had said this, this, and this. So I'm gonna ask these questions of these people. I'm not going to tippy-toe around folks just because they're politicians or senators or congress. No, you are gonna get asked some questions. As Fetterman, who came in, uh, Lieutenant Governor of Pennsylvania, came on my show this week, wasn't ready. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Questions going to be asked. You may not like the questions, but what you not going to do. So, you know, there's, there's that. And, and listening to Dave Chappelle, I was like, that's a rare space to be in, to be able to do that and know that your finances, your, your, your livelihood could be taken away from you at a moment's notice. You know, he's not in that position anymore. I still am, but I do it anyway because I feel like what's the point of having breath in this body and, and having the sensibilities and, and, and the out, the perspective and not, you know, and not, and not push towards freedom at every turn. So anyway, just. Hide, that's hide not, Dr. no, that's Carr. not anyway.
1: That's our point of entry, isn't it, this morning, I mean, we had said we were going to, last week, we said, oh, you know what? We should continue this Ann Arnold Hedgeman conversation because this sister is representative of so much more than just her life. I mean, here's a woman who was the first woman of African descent. To, outside the diaspora to speak in independent Ghana she 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 was a keynote speaker at the conference they had in Accra on uh, black women or women in Africa uh, that had happened after she was working for she's first black woman to serve in a mayoral candidate uh, cabinet in New York and uh, one of the representatives of the Ghanaian government a sister who had actually come to her because she was at the United Nations and she said, you know, I've been in this country now for a little while and nobody has set up any meetings for me with black people. So I'm coming to you. And she and his sister hit it off. Now, my Anna Arnold Hedgman had been studying black history since her parents in Minnesota had introduced it to her. And she had early conversations. In fact, she related a conversation she had. Was in 1922? I think it was 22 with Carter G. Woodson. She had read the first like 50 pages of the Negro in our history. And she was like, I got some questions for you. I mean, so she's been on this a long time. But when this sister comes to her, this is in the, the early days of Ghanaian independence, around 1960 and and uh, in the African independence movement. And so Hegemon is like, yeah, this is, this is ridiculous. So she and her sister hit it off. Next thing you know, she receives an invitation and she's in Accra in Ghana, opening up this, helping to open up this conference. And of course the guy who opened it up even though the conference was about women and she writes about this and actually in her um
0: wait 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 are we gonna do a no 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 United... no
1: we're no, no. Okay. gonna do 30 seconds and i'm getting okay. out of it okay. I'm, just, I'm just teasing people because with people there's a lot out there on Anna arnold hedgeman so i mean she fortunately and you know you know how we do i mean i prefer the books people and the things people say and write about themselves what did I do with her stuff okay here we go there they go I'm like I got stuff piled up all over here as we said before she wrote two memoirs uh the trumpet sounds and uh the gift of chaos the gift of chaos is where you see a lot of this this is near the end of of her life even though she said at the nursing home when she finally went there where her husband said I'm gonna live to be 120 years old she made it into her 90s but Um, uh, Jennifer Scanlon did a good book on her called until there is justice, the life of Arnold Hedgeman, uh, Anna Arnold Hedgeman. But, but always, always, I mean, the biographers are great, but I always prefer what they say about themselves. I'm only saying, I'm only saying that. And then we're going to end with this because folks may have come in thinking, oh, we're going to talk about Anna Arnold Hedgeman, but Dave Chappelle did what Dave Chappelle does. Now he didn't drop this in the middle of this rhythm. And again, like what he did with 846, and we broke that down. And for folks who may be new into the learning space, please go back over and find that conversation that we had about Dave Chappelle, because we won't go back through that today. His history, the South Carolina roots, his great-grandfather, who he named checks in uh, Saturday Night Live, of course, and said, I've been bought and sold more than he was. He was formerly enslaved. I mean, so, I mean, all those things connect. And we spent a lot of time in that conversation. I thought it was good. But I just wanted to, to to drop that because we can return to our, our, uh, Anna Hedgeman because she deserves, I mean, she requires, she, her, her life is, it's not astonishing that we don't talk about her more because we know what kind of society we live in, but it is truly remarkable. To me, it's one out of countless barometers of how disconnected our people have become, even in the living members. This woman made transition in 1990. <laughs> so I mean, it's not I like we talked about. I never heard she her name.
0: <laughs> I never heard her name until you brought it up, and, and she lived in New York. She's New Yorker. For all this Harlem. Person. She died in Harlem. Yes. She died in Harlem at, at 90 plus. Yes. And as I was reading, she didn't do that march on Washington until she was 65 years old. You see So that? everybody out there that thinks you know it's too late or I'm too old, or whatever, that woman was getting her stride at 65. No like question. Catching her second breath at 65 no to do all of the work. So we, we're going to talk about her. Yeah, we're we definitely going to talk about it.
1: Y'all look her up now because like, like you just heard Professor Hunter say, if it weren't for Anna Arnold Hedgeman, the march on Washington for jobs and freedom, she's the one that put the jobs and the freedom together because she and Phil Randolph are running on the jobs thing King's looking on the civil rights legislation. She's the one that makes the deal. She's the one that puts them together. And then when she look around, say, "Hey, ain't no, ain't no women in here. What about Merle Evans? She can speak for us. What about Daisy Bates? I mean, so yeah, that's we should say. But but I want to ask you because let, let's. Okay, wait. Before we get to Chappelle, if it's alright with you, fence we are in a moment of, I guess this will be a holiday weekend. Yesterday was White Friday. So, well, I'm sorry. They call it Black Friday. That's right. Why oh, call it Black Friday? All the money going to front page of today's New York Times tickled me. Said Amazon hires at a record clip, fourteen hundred people a day. They're hiring, and you know, Be- Bezos is worth more now than he was before the pandemic by order of magnitude. They making all the money, and people sitting at home, clicking, 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 buying. By the way, I think unless I miss my, unless they changed it. Isn't in this rhythm, Saturday supposed to be like small business Saturday or something where you support, you know, so if we talk, yeah, we're talking about books, try to look up Sankofa.com or look up S-O-1 on the West Coast or look up some of these black bookstores and help them. And yes, also, I should say this at the beginning too, a lot of the books we talk about and you know, people are emailing and I'm looking on social media, people are saying, yeah, they're out of print. Where can we find them cheaper? We we got we gotta jailbreak that as well. But understand that when I'm holding something up, this is what fifty-five now, this is like 40 years of collecting books. <laughs> so understand that you know these you know it, it's a different rhythm, but being mindful of that, we're gonna start trying to think of things that are accessible that we can get to mix them in with the other things that are important. But yesterday was the opening of the well the traditional opening of the empty your pockets uh talk about dave Chappelle. we're gonna get to that empty your pockets uh season and um i couldn't think of the of the book many years ago i was out at charles drew medical center in la uh for uh, a, a regional conference of the association for the study of classical african civilization And I remember it was around this time of year, usually ASCAP, we have our regional, Western regional, the first or second week of December. And I was talking about the origins of this commercial corridor from Thanksgiving to Christmas. And uh, parenthetically, it's interesting to see how few Thanksgiving displays I noticed. I don't know if you saw that out. It seemed like they went straight to the Christmas tree. Why? Because Thanksgiving is usually the moment when you create the space to tell people to empty their pockets. And there was, there's a, there, there are a couple of, uh, there, well, there are more than a couple actually, uh, books, articles, writings about the history of the Macy's parade, R.H. Macy and the department store wars and then Gimbels, And the idea that there were a number of European immigrants who worked at Macy's, of course, you know, you know, Manhattan better than I do. I mean, the garment district now you people. And so we know that Thanksgiving is a uniquely American holiday in the sense that it's a settler colonial holiday that is tied into the dna of settler colonialism so that's why i used to love when i was living in philly and even since i've been here in the dc area if i'm not somewhere with family on quote-unquote thanksgiving i go to the macy's parade because uh for two reasons number one you know you know i said before i I treat all these things almost like intellectual csi they're crime scenes so i want to go see this crime so i'm going to investigate and see what's going on now and the second reason is because new york as john henry clark used to say is not a city as much as it is a multinational uh state with all these different nations in it you can always get something good to eat on thanksgiving because many of these people perhaps even the majority Ain't got no title to America, except they came here to either make some money or go to school or whatever. And, and the restaurant's gonna be open. All the Chinese restaurants, the Indian restaurants, and, and the people don't celebrate Thanksgiving are good. So I, I, I would do it. But the, on the first piece, the, uh, the question of Macy's, the Macy's parade, what began as in part, a celebration of some of the employees of RH Macy's who took this day when the store was closed to uh, gather Um, there at the store to gather and bring dishes that they cooked from their countries of origin even some of them to come in the dress of their countries of origin to show off and compare contrast then emerged uh, and then added a kind of a little bit of a kind of a a pre parade of sorts you know then turned into wow this is a great idea because people might actually enjoy seeing this the, the, the early vestigial stages of what becomes the Macy's Parade. And then of course, now it evolves over the decades. And of course, with cultural markers like Miracle at 34th Street and all that into this basically long ass commercial. So when you go to the Macy's Parade, I know you've been, anybody ever been to Macy's Parade? This is why I like to go. You go to Macy's Parade, you watch the parade that's going on on TV, and then you see the parade in real life. And I used to, I try to get to like 8th and 34th, or right down there where the you know NBC or whatever set up the, the TV. And you see when the cameras go up and the cameras go down. Now all these kids that bake cookies all year and got their marching band and from Iowa or Tennessee or wherever they there, they done bust their tail to get there. They go marching to march into Macy's parade. Yeah, when they hit that corner, the cameras are down. But when the big balloon comes that's a toy that all the kids want the cameras gone back up so in florida or massachusetts or ghana wherever you are watching this you're looking at the balloons and you catch a few of those little marching bands people like that but most people in the mason's parade are selling something this is just one long commercial and and when you stand in there and looking at you got the children sitting standing out front you got the parents behind them and these and the parents are standing there, unless they and a lot of parents know this stuff, but a lot of don't. Lot don't. So you see these parents looking; they can recognize some of the balloons, but they don't. The children, Karen, the children recognize everybody on every balloon, every float, and you watch them. They say, I want that. I want that. I want that. I want to be the big red dog. I want to be. I want to be. And they why? Because these are all products going by. So it's a fact, and the who is Karen? Who is the last person in the Macy's parade, and then by extension, the last person in the Thanksgiving parades all over the country? All right, I have to make a confession.
0: I've never been to a Macy's parade. That's because I don't watch the Macy's parade. I don't care about the Macy's parade. I couldn't tell you the last damn float yes, in the Macy's did. parade. I, I'm. I, who is and it? You, Snoopy? Who no, is it? No, no, Snoopy's Mace, be The turkey?
1: No, the, the turkey. The, the turkey will be for Thanksgiving for sure, but but Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. opens the corridor to what? Christmas. So the last Santa Claus is Klaus.
0: Santa Claus
1: waving. And it's like bye, bye. 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 You, you don't spell bye. bye. B-Y-E. You spell it B-U-Y. Bye. Bye. And so after Thursday, the Macy's Parade comes Black Friday, baby. It's time to buy. Bye. And so therefore, so you, you spend a night in New York, come back the next day, people punch each other in the face, running old people for a pair of draws that they Could buy any other day, but now because they said 10% off, they actually think they're saving money. (laughs) So, I mean, and so, you know, and of course, this is replicated all over the country now. Walmart's in Vicksburg, Mississippi, uh, you know. And the reason I know so much about the Macy's Parade as a child, this was one of the national um, markers where the United States, which isn't a nation, is trying to create rituals to bind people together. So, watching the Macy's Parade was a big deal. Now, I haven't seen a down. Of NFL football since they banned Colin Kaepernick but of course people know the Detroit Lions play and then you got Cowboys versus Indians uh, apparently I don't know somebody said something about the Washington football team beat the Dallas Cowboys yesterday I, I wouldn't know I refused to even look at the scores but but these are the things that are reinforcing this imaginary American identity now how's this all tied to Dave Chappelle well <laughs> no no it's interesting though because and I will put this marker down and then finish up on, on Thanksgiving Chappelle in my mind is really battling with a concept that is absurd in my mind and that I don't think is achievable. Remember, this is a couple of months ago. We talked about uh Hampate Ba and his article in the uh United Nations um Um, general history of Africa about what it meant, you know, distinguishing between a griot, people talk about a griot, a storyteller, historian, that's not really what that word means. A jolly, which means blood, like the person who tells the stories that kind of binds the community together and then the doma. The doma is the one, this is a class of memory keepers whose speech must be as close to what actually occurred as possible because their role is to be the keeper of accurate memory. Think you ain't got to like them, you ain't got to dislike them. So, in my mind, when we talked about 846, we talked actually, this is when we talked about it. we talked about Chappelle in his jolly function. And increasingly, seems to me that Chappelle has whether he was setting out to do this or not. It was interesting during his uh, during when he was talking, and Un- unforgiven near the end, he said, You know, I realized I found my thing, the microphone was my thing, and really, as we talked about with his mother, you know, um. He is um, Dr. Sian, he is really a teacher in a lot of ways, but it seems like he's grappling with this space and and to construct it using the Jolly and the Doma. It seems like whether he's doing it intentionally or not, he's struggling with this space between Jolly and Doma. And let me just explain that very quickly and then I'll go back to Thanksgiving and keep going because this is where we're going to tie it all together. A Jolly's role in a society, at least the way Hampate Ba, this African historian, writes about it in the societies he grew up in and the societies he has studied over decades of study as an African historian. The role of a Jolly is to help the family, help the village, help the larger community, create narratives that bind them together. Narratives of heroic ancestors, narratives of great conquest and victory, narratives of great obstacles and challenges that were overcome that make people feel close to each other and bind them together. It's very important. The role of the Doma is to reinforce that, but also the role of the Doma is the truth-teller to say, while the Jolly has flexibility to say, for example, yes, Martin Luther King. Yes, it's very important. I have a dream because that's going to make you feel good. The Doma comes in and says... Yes, but Arna Anna Arnold Hedgeman. <laughs> what? Yeah, well, I'm trying. to, Yeah, I understand. You want to you want to select a few things out and hype, but I got to tell it the way it happened. <laughs> you see? so. It is, so so the the distinction. What Dave Chappelle seems to be grappling with is, I'm going to be a truth teller. But what happens when you are a truth teller in a society where I don't think. I really don't think, Karen, I don't think it's possible to have an American Dome. Mm. I don't think it's possible to have an American Dome because it's a settler colony that will never come to grips with the truth, which is why i won't go back to Thanksgiving for a minute. Wait, wait,
0: what, what are you?
1: Well, I'm not trying to be an American anything. That's the whole point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm making the distinction between citizenship and nationality. People, oh, people confuse those two things. There is no American nation. I know people want there to be one, and they work hard to make there be one, and I don't begrudge that. I don't begrudge that at all because I know people want to belong. But how can you have a nation? How can you have a nation when Breonna Taylor is executed, George Floyd is executed? We talk, you talk, I talk, we all talk about a reckoning. And over the arc of these months, the primary beneficiaries of the Breonna Taylor George Floyd windfall have been academics getting speeches, book sales, white publishers, and, no. and wait, 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 the NBA generating goodwill with slogans on their back. And LeBron James, and them got to basically threaten not to work to get that and a couple of million dollars to get spread out to create some more programs for institutions, you know it's pay yourself first, this kind of thing. Now, so frankly, and it's a little impolitic for me to say this, but I'll say it anyway. I'm looking at everybody who is making this individual reparations come up on, you know, <laughs> in, the, in the wake of the deaths of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, you name it and everybody else. You know I'm saying this is the individual reparations windfall, but how can you have an American donor when if you say that People say, well, no, we got to give us time. Give us time? Today's New York Times. Biden-Harris. I'm going to drop Harris out of this because it's nice to say Biden-Harris, but let's be clear. Biden and the Democratic Party, you know, they appointing these cabinet people and they putting in, they're getting the old gang back together. The old Obama, Clinton. Is anybody still alive from... You know, that they bring the gang Carter. back together, right? And so now they're arguing over, well, they're debating the, quote unquote, lesser cabinet positions, to the degree that there are lesser cabinet positions. Agriculture. So apparently Jim Clyburn, and I'm sure he's been stung many times. I'm sorry, brother, because this is the thing about me. Whatever your politics are, if you're elder, you get a bit of an elder pass in the sense that you could be stone cold crazy. But I'm going to listen for a minute. Why? Because there, there's certain principles you should be able to have, which is why I'm laughing at this young uh, Jeezy. Uh, Andre thousand thing so you know I'm saying boy the American Negro has lost all home training you don't understand the question of intergenerational how you deal with this but anyways it's another story for another day but Clyburn is saying now apparently openly I want Marsha Fudge to be the secretary of agriculture well, that's a small thing to ask since the uh, the media the commercial white facing media has basically constructed him as the man that saved Joe Biden okay but What they're saying is, well, front runners include Heidi Heitkamp, the former governor of uh, North Dakota, uh, Tom Vilsack, the former secretary of education. And now Clyburn is going on the record saying we got good people. We shouldn't be doing retreads. And when Vilsack was the secretary of agriculture under Obama, you know, this wasn't, uh, he wasn't particularly favorable to the black farmers. I'm going to tie that together in a second to something else. And um, I'm thinking... Congressman Clyburn. bruh, you've been around a long time. You know how this goes. Now, this is where Dave Chappelle, I'm saying Dave Chappelle gets me. The truth is, you don't hold no weight, bruh. These are acts of charity unless you can break their backs. I ain't talking about the open white nationalists that we had to get rid of. I'm talking about the soft white nationalist party, which is the, a lot of the Democratic Party, what they might call the moderates. And this guy is considering wait, you considering putting back into the office the same guy that when he punched at Shirley Sherrod in Georgia, and Barack Obama didn't do nothing but back him until Sherrod b- got up and said, oh, hell no, you ain't gonna do that to me, at which point he wanna apologize. You wanna bring him back as a subject? Jim Clavin is like, you can't, but bruh, this is what happens when you haven't built the type of weight to be able to punch back, or to use Dave Chappelle, the two metaphors he used in uh, in Unforgiven, he says, you know, he, I could just take it but you can't say that clobin because you kind of come into that space it's, it's a difficult moment but how can you have an american doma that's part of a larger concept of an american nation when your people continue to suffer even when the people who are responsible for the suffering and who have the control of the mechanisms that could do something about the suffering continue to ignore you even after you show them once again that you done signed up for the project so I don't think there's. it's possible to have an American donor.
2: Mm.
1: Now, now, that haven't been said. Does that mean everybody gonna die, the country gonna fall apart? No, it means we have to be more mindful of the lessons we've learned over the arc of time, which is why I wanted to start here before we get deep into Chappelle with this. We just passed this ritual of thanksgiving people say well i'm not celebrating the pilgrims i'm not i'm celebrating cornbread and macaroni cheese battles and gumbo battles okay that's fine i mean i'm not tripping i don't look we have so little time for joy we don't we don't carve out enough so everybody do their ritual but i think it would be remiss for us however not to pause and which is why i pulled a couple of of p this is a very good book for example it's an affordable book you can get it at black bookstore roxanne uh Roxana, Roxana Dunbar Ortiz, Indigenous Peoples History of the United States. You got to deal with the First Nations folk. You got to deal with the people who, many of whom use this as a day of mourning. And if there weren't a plague and I was in DC and I didn't go to the Macy's parade, I would spend part of Thanksgiving down the National Mall at the museum. The museum that I think by far represents an attempt to articulate a concept of humanity that isn't wedded to this fictional American narrative of settler colonialism that can't even come together to fall apart. So people talk about healing. You're assuming there was a body to heal in the first place. it ain't never, ain't never been no body. You gonna heal Frankenstein? Because that's basically what you talking <laughs> about, a stitched together body with all these other different body parts. And so it, 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 it was never together to heal. but. The, the, the museum that captured the gestures toward this, that tries to do this to me far better than any other museum on the Mall, is the Museum of the American Indian. First of all, because they approached it with the concept that American Indian means everybody who was on this side of the ball when East met West 500 years ago. So they don't stop at the borders of the United States. Second of all, from the architecture, to the plants that surround it, to the exhibits, to everything in there, they have, they've created it in a way to, to showcase Native American worldviews, which is why it's one of the it, well, at least according to some of the people who work for the Smithsonian, it's one of the uh it's one of the least well-attended museums. Cause because if you're not, if you're not willing to open yourself up and give yourself over to the concept of other people in the world and trying to immerse with them, it's not easy. They don't have no linear beginning and end. You are here. No, no, they're gonna make you work for it. And when I think about the fact I I pulled a couple of exhibition catalogs, which, again, these are also very affordable. You can find them. I love their exhibition catalogs in many ways, because uh, this is the one about all the treaties that the United States created and broke with them. Nation to nation treaties between the United States and American Indian nations. It's very good. The other thing is they showcase Native American scholars and Native American community workers. It's very important. So uh, they had an exhibit on this. They had they had all these treaties laid out and they walked through, this is what you said that you broke. This is what you said that you broke. This is what you said is very, but this one is the one I wanna end with on American Indian just for a second. Officially Indian, symbols that define the United States. And of course, that's the famous buffalo head nickel that we all know about, right? Um, This holiday is, this Thanksgiving holiday is an attempt to create a point of origin for an American nation, which means you can have jollies. Attempt to narrate an American nation and where everybody go. In fact, the first thing you see in American Indian—well, when you go, they got an exhibition on on the second floor, no, third floor called Americans, which is about this. In other words, he said this. Well, y'all can get the book for yourself, but you can see, you know, Native American. Well, I. Let me stop. I started saying Native Americans. And the point I'm about to make shows why that even that is, is is a challenge. Well, let me just make that point. He said when the Europeans, when they say when the Europeans came here, they didn't call the Native Americans Native Americans. If they didn't call them Indians, because they were looking for India, as we know, they called them Americans. Because what, are Europeans Americans? No. So they called them Americans. It gets move to Native Americans once whiteness occupies the field and says, we are the Americans. Now you're the Native Americans. You had to put no adjective on at the beginning. They were the Americans. You're the Europeans. And so you know, when you look at it, but the point they're making here is Native Americans are in every moment of American life. In fact, they are in many ways the thread that weaves together. They've been on the money. They've been they on the medals they give. They got the names of the, the tomahawk, the Apache. These are helicopters, fighter planes. They got artists in the sports teams. They're in your cupboard, land of lakes. They got all these Indian princesses on every kind of thing. You go to the supermarket, walk down the supermarket aisle. Pick any aisle, walk down, and I dare you to get through that aisle without seeing a Native American. I mean, it's all in. It's all in the gas stations. I mean everything. But the idea is that there is this contested notion of what it means to be an American. And when you have reduced these people to not being human, which is why I also pulled, this is an old black bookstore favorite. I don't remember these. My man, the late, the ancestor is Shaka Musha Barashango. He did these African people in European holidays, the mental genocide. I read these when I was in law school and I'm here studying property and contracts and torts. And then at night I'm studying and then I'll stop and read a few pages. This and just get madder and madder. You know, I was not I told this. So he got a whole chapter in book one on the historical roots of misgiving day where he goes through the history. And it's crazy because he talks about the Plymouth, you know, when they left uh, the, the, the Mayflower and the other boat left England, left Plymouth, coming to Massachusetts Bay. And one boat turned around, then the Mayflower kept going and they get there. And that first year, 1620 to 1621, they're struggling. They lose almost half their people. You know they're putting people on trial because they're killing a native american and eating them one dude killed his wife and start eating her so they had to put him in the stock i mean because they're going to starve right but the native americans when they first come they begin to learn a little english they start showing them where to fish they start showing. they helping them come alive I'm thinking to myself boy mm-mm-mm. now imagine this because the europeans have guns they're not the only people on the planet with the guns Koreans got guns, the Chinese got guns. I'm thinking to myself, boy, if there was a way to communicate, and y'all could have got some Native Americans, some of these guns, we'd be having this conversation in Europe, and we wouldn't be talking about Black Lives Matter, because we'd be running things, because Africa got all the natural resources, and we'd probably be sending care packages to Europe. But at any rate, they, they didn't do that. That obviously didn't happen. And so that first year, they're just celebrating survival when they had this three-day thing they do around this question of Thanksgiving. And I'm saying I have to say this because there's been a lot of discussion. I mean, you've had discussion yourself on 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 you know during the week. I people talk about the 1619 project for the New York Times and then these reactionaries come up with a 1620 project because they want to talk about Plymouth Massachusetts Bay Colony, Plymouth Rock. My question is, what's the difference? What's the difference between 1619 and 1620? What is the fundamental difference? I don't mean the difference in emphasis. Because the difference in emphasis is like, well black people were there too there it wasn't the project of settler colonialism after all so in other words you're saying the same thing they're saying about massachusetts bay colony but you just saying that you were in it too no that's not what i mean well what do you mean then because i for damn sure can't understand what because the first africans that were brought here by europeans in any appreciable number meaning more than a couple of dozen I'm not talking about Pedro Alonso Nino, who came with Columbus and them, or any other Africans who ostensibly came before any of them. I'm talking about 1526, when the Spanish tried to set up a colony down there near South Carolina, where it's now South Carolina, the Pee Dee River, and them Africans revolted and was like, peace, and went with the Native Americans, and the Spanish left. That's almost 100 years before Jamestown, Virginia, and before 1619. So a, to me, a sixteen nineteen project and a sixteen twenty project are cut out of the same national memory cloth. They're fighting over who gets proud of place in this larger Frankenstein monster you're trying to create and continue to sustain. And think you can heal or somehow transform from what it is, and maybe you can, maybe you can't. So let me close with this on that in terms of Thanksgiving, yeah, because there's a lot more. One, you know, we mentioned some of the ancestors that have. Uh, that have become ancestors in the last few days as a sister, Deborah White Plume, who was one of the uh, Oglala Sioux out there uh, at uh, Wounded Knee that fought against you know settler colonialism in the form of the federal government and some of these sellout Native Americans that fought against them. She made transition in the last couple of weeks. Her obituary was in the New York Times yesterday. Um, yeah, I pulled this as well. This is a good one. We are still here. This is a history of the American Indian Movement. I name it because It was right before Thanksgiving weekend about, it'll be, it was 51 years ago last week when the, uh, when a a group of Native Americans from all over the country uh, went to Alcatraz and said, you know, we had a, we had a deal, the Indian, uh, was it, (laughs) the Indian Reservation Act of 1966, I think it was, where they say, you know, if the federal government has abandoned property or conceded property, the Native Americans have a right to occupy the property. And so they went out to Alcatraz and said, we've discovered Alcatraz. It used to be the federal government. And they stayed out there for a couple of years. And the reason I mention it is because people like, uh, you know, Deborah White Plume, Deborah White Plume, um were forced to California as they created this whole thing of red kind of. Well, let me see. I think I actually pulled that book, too. This is another good one. Red Power. Red Power. Alvin Josephy's edited book. When you read Red Power, they do a, a declaration. We must hold on to the old ways. Indians of all tribes was the organization, and they after they've been out there almost a month, they give this declaration. We must hold on to the old ways, where they say we must now unify as American Indians. They're about they're close to six hundred different nations in this country right now. Um, but they said, we have to organize, we have to be together because these people try to wipe us out, but we are still here. Deborah, uh, Deborah White Bloom, for example, they tra- trying to force Native Americans away from the reservations and into the cities. That's how they ended up in San Francisco to go take over Alcatraz. She, they forced her out of the Dakotas, of uh, Minnesota, actually. They forced her into uh, San Jose. She went out to San Jose for while. She came back home though, and graduated from one of the almost 40 tribal colleges in this country. We talk about HBCUs. There are almost 40 tribal colleges. These are the colleges that are established for Native Americans. If they contested identity. She creates a freedom school. She creates a, a freedom school to teach uh, the, the, the Lakota language, the Sioux language. She was involved in the Dakota Pipeline. She was, uh, you know, uh, Dakota XL. I'm sorry, Keystone XL, Dakota Access, Standing Rock. She just made transition to age 66. But in this season of Thanksgiving, this is the narrative that if we mention it, it's like putting earrings on. Yeah, we'll accessorize it, but let's not disturb the big, because I just I just want my peach cobbler, man. Why well, we got to talk about, we got to talk about it because your children are dying in the streets and you can't square the fact that your children are dying in the streets with these national holidays that are built on the idea that your children are less than human. I know it, it doesn't sound good, but it's absolutely accurate. And the DOMA's function is to say something about it. Now, why are you saying something about it? We could talk about that in a second with Chappelle, but I wanted to mention that with, with them. And I also want to mention one other person that made transition. It's the reason I pulled my this hoodie. I don't wear this hoodie a lot. This is from the 100th anniversary of the Dallas County Voter Rights League. Dallas County. Dallas County is in Alabama. Dallas County. And we talked about a mention of I mean, we'll have to do another time. another Because I couldn't find my copy of a mayor's life for David Dinkins. I mean, I, I talked to my last week. was the last week of school. So I played, for one of my classes, I played Fight to Power, Public Enemy, from 1989. And they, you know, they don't know who Tawana Brawley was. I had to explain it to them. They didn't, you know, they know about the Central Park Five because of the Exonerated Five. Shout out to Avery DuVernay and all that. But going back to the Central Park Five, that was the spring of 1989. And, of course, that was the summer that Dinkins runs against Koch, beats him in the primary, and then runs against this fool named Rudolph Giuliani, as you well know, reported about, right write about, right? right wrote about. And so by the time you get to the fall, every, uh, Yusef Hawkins gets killed in Bensonhurst. All that's going on, Public Enemy Hip Hop is very different then. They, they putting it in the face, right? Putting it in the face. And Dinkins is seen as this kind of, you know, healer. Gang of four, the kind of quiet guy in that four. group. was it? What who was it? Basil Patterson. Um, Who were the gang of four? Yeah,
2: you- per- Percy Sutton.
0: Yes. Basil Patterson. Charlie Brangle and if David that was Dinkins. For a minute,
1: Karen. Help us, because I know we won't go. But we got—we got to at least mention Dinkins. Say something about that. Where you as, we as, have as somebody who really, who really knows what should be said? What, what should we know about David Dinkins?
0: Oh my, elegant,
1: hmm. obedient.
0: I just, I'm, which, which put him in a position almost like the Jackie Robinson, you know, New York has never had a black mayor How about since never had one before. Yeah. New York. Right. Um, And among the four, like you said, the, the quietest, you know, he loved tennis, loved his wife. Matter of fact, his wife may transition in October and many people believe, you know, they, I mean, they were married in the 70 years.
1: Freshman at but, Howard university. He's, he's a, he's a math major and she's in sociology. Can you believe that? <laughs> yes.
0: Yes, that that was a true love story. He loved his wife. Uh and so uh, a lot of people believe because she died in October that he didn't want to be here anymore, which I you see that quite frequently. Sure. Um and I remember being very hurt because I covered the Crown Heights um disaster. Wow. Yeah, I was the only person to interview Gavin Cato's dad. I was the what? only person that was front yeah, front page piece on uh, the New York Daily News. I got to sit with him. He had never talked to anybody. Um and David Dinkins got a bad rap with that. With the, the, I don't even want to get into that because that's going to take us down a, a whole rabbit hole that that I don't know if it's good right now, you know, given the current climate in this country. But um, I was very proud when he was elected because, you know, much, much like Obama, another Jackie Robinson type figure, yeah. you, you know, now in my conscious mind, I realize why that doesn't help us to have such people. But those people could never be there unless they had those temperaments, right? Like how we talk about Jackie Robinson, not the greatest Negro baseball player, but the one with the temperament that could withstand all of the onslaught of racism and make white people comfortable in the midst of it.
1: Yes. So, yeah. No, thank you. Thank you. This is very important. And a lot of young people, and by the way, y'all make sure y'all subscribe. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure, and you got people watching, families, young people, particularly. Some of those names we just heard, Professor Hunter mention. Some of the young people may not know. You may not know Gavin Cato. I say Cato like Octavius Cato in Philadelphia. Gavin Cato, the young brother. What was he? Seven? Karen?
0: Eight. Uh, he and his um, cousin were playing outside their front front door, uh, and were run over by a. I guess what do you call that? A, a procession mm. of, of, of Hasidim. killed, mm. run over, killed. Mm. Mm. And the, Right.
1: You're right. We'll get. We'll yeah, get. let's yeah. Let's yeah. not go. You know, you know why? Because, you know, when you said it, it made me think. When I say this is not a nation, it is not a nation. Why? Because different people in this country do whatever the hell they want, and they only use the law to keep you out of their business. If y'all read the uh Diocese of Brooklyn versus Cuomo Supreme Court case where the handmaid finally made herself known, you know what I'm saying? She said, I don't give a damn about the Constitution. I'm a good Catholic. <laughs> so we go into church, and Sonia Sotomayor, also a good Catholic in her descent. Sonia Sotomayor is emerging as the, in terms of descent, in my mind, the William Brennan of her generation. I won't say mm-hmm. the third Marshall as much as the way, maybe a combination of Marshall and Brennan, because she knows she doesn't have the numbers. But what Sotomayor is putting into the record is as close you're gonna get to a doma in american jurisprudence so go read diocese of brooklyn versus cuomo forget the majority opinion forget gorsuch's concurrence kavanaugh's concurrence uh forget that go there's a procurium uh uh decision meaning that it isn't signed it's just a 5-4 vote the fifth vote is amy comey handmaiden's tale barrett but mm. well, so the mayor says she starts her descent with Y'all know it's a whole-ass plague out here, right? She ain't said it like that, but she said <laughs> COVID-19 is amazing. And she said, you do understand that the reason y'all can go to court and say you want to have as many people in your church or synagogue as you want, and when you said her sister made me think about that, is because the restrictions were in place that kept y'all alive. Are you serious right now <laughs> in terms of constra- constraining the state's ability to keep people alive? It is it is elegantly crafted prose is dead on. And she's in a minority because now you've got ideologues, not that you ever haven't had them, but you got open ideologues now running the table at the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. But when you said that about, you know, this young brother and his and his sister you know, getting hit by these cars, him getting killed. And then you got to go through this whole set of drama. About you know this now, and, and then Dinkins trying to keep the Temperature Town gets slammed by both sides. Giuliani, as crazy then as he is now, yes, out there with the NYPD yelling crazy. I mean, come on now. And Spike Lee tries to capture a little do right thing. More importantly, in uh, what's the one he did? Uh, um, Jungle Fever. I mean, he tried to show y'all, even Summer of Sam, there is no nation, there are different groups fighting. And what is the role of a society when you start talking about the law and politics as a Philip Randolph, as Anna uh, Arnold Hedgman's uh, running, running, running partner, a Philip Randolph would say, you get what you can take and hold on to. Which is going to bring us to Dave Chappelle in a second, because that's where because because he says that's the first thing he learned when he was a 15 in that comedy club. Dude, yeah. I could just take it. Right. And then the second thing he learned when he's 18 is, you know, never get between a man, never get between a woman and their money. So I mean, we 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 will get to Chappelle, and I, I want to before but, we do though.
0: Yes, can you, can you spell Doma and Jolly for the people who need to yes. research? Uh, D, D,
1: D-O-M-A is Doma, and Jolly is a couple of ways to spell it, but probably the most common way is either J A L I or you see the D which is silent D J A L I. If you go back to our conversations. Look at the look at the one where we did the whole conversation around Dave Chappelle, eight four six. When you look at that one, we went through this entire thing and and had a. I mean, we, I thought it was we had. A good that was experience. brilliant. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, we, we 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 collectively listened to our brother and walked through it. Yeah, we did. In fact, I appreciate it. You go there and that, and that all of it is there. In fact, and I will say this very quickly with each week it becomes more and more apparent that the common themes we've been approaching for now, wow, almost 40 episodes, 40, 40 sessions. Now it's time. And now, you know, a class over now. I got exams next week. I'm going to sit down. We're going to sit down and start weaving to get, because the themes are there. Somebody actually put that in one of the comments. The first time we were together, Karen, when you talked about about, a year ago, when we were, you, were in, you came up with Ajua, we were in the studio and we were talking about the curriculum. Somebody said they went back and watched that one. And then all the things we're talking about now, would seem like, oh, we're just talking here and there. No, the oh, I see the framework. Methodology. That is the whole purpose of Africana studies. All the academics out there to say y'all doing black studies because you studying black people, you're not doing black studies. Black studies is about the how, not the what. The how is the challenge of the discipline of Africana studies. And if we're not dealing with how to ask these questions, how to look for answers. If we're just talking about interesting black facts, we're not doing black studies. But that's a conversation for another day. Let me mention one other ancestor, new ancestor, because this, this is a, it's a very important dude. This is why I have this on. I think maybe the last time I left DC by plane was to go down to Selma for the anniversary of the Jubilee Bridge crossing, uh, Fire Rose to Ray, Rose Sanders, her husband, Hank Sanders, uh, Alabama State Senator Hank, Hank Sanders, Rose, one of the baddest lawyers there is. She always battled. She and her husband stayed on the front line of the war. And they are Selma based. They Selma people um, down there because Fire Rose, you know, every year they have this thing where they cross the bridge. And of course, the day after we had the conference with the young people, because what Fire does, is she brings all the high school students together from Selma. And it's a real honor to be there with these young people from Selma, Alabama, from Selma High School and all these other, I mean, just sitting there, you know, and having conversation with them. And the next day, of course, they had the bridge crossing. That's when Congressman Lewis, so people think about the last time John Lewis crossed the bridge there. He, this was, this was that time we were there for that Jubilee crossing. And of course, then this thing hits, that was February, right? At the end of February. So um, I was, I was talking with a brother who actually wrote a book. I thought I had the book here, but if I don't have it, I'll have to find it. Oh, here we are. It's called The Courageous Eight. Hidden Figures of the 1965 Voting Rights Movement. William Wai. This is very, Brother Waheed, This I got this book from him. This sister right here, that's Amelia Boynton Robinson. That's the sister who lived to be 104 years old. She and her husband uh, in, in fact, when you look at, there she is right there. When you look at, um, um, Selma at Avery DuVernay's film, that's, you know, she gives a dramatization of Dr. King and them meeting over at the Robinsons' house because they were business people in Selma. She and her husband Sam. Uh, if you look at the pictures where the Obamas are crossing the bridge, there are a couple of elders in wheelchairs. On one side of Barack Obama is Amelia Boynton Robinson. Next to her is a sister who still walks the earth. Uh she's relocated to Philly now. I love this sister. You probably I'm sure you've crossed paths with her before. Uh, she was the first black woman state regent in of education in uh in New York. Um Adelaide Sanford. I don't know if you know yes. That yeah. I do. Love Adelaide Sanford. Adelaide Sanford come in the room my beautiful ones. <laughs> My brilliant ones. <laughs> you can't be mad. Even if you was mad at her, she can't. I mean, you talk about she started as elementary school teacher, rose up through principal and superintendents kind of thing. Regent Sanford. In fact, we were all together in Kemet. She went to she went to Egypt with us in 2007. Uh, that was the year Ace Hilliard made transition actually at Regent Sanford. In fact, I saw a couple of years ago um, at a conference in Philly because she's in Philly now. But L.A. Sanford and Amelia Boynton Robinson, uh, were, Amelia Platt Boynton, she got remarried robinson after her husband passed they were in the wheelchairs next to the obamas when they were crossing the, the the bridge um amelia boynton robinson and her husband sam had a son their son um their son was a brilliant student he graduated from high school when he was 14 years old he then went to fisk university he went to Fisk University, graduated. In fact, uh, his name was Bruce. His middle name, he was his middle name was taken from his godfather, who was very good friends with Amelia Boynton Robinson and Sam Robinson. His name was Bruce Carver Boynton, named for George Washington Carver, his godfather. He then left Tennessee and came up south to Washington, D.C., Following in the footsteps of, remember at the very beginning I said we're gonna mention somebody. Uh, remember you t- we were talking about J.L. Chestnut back in the early summer. Mm. Do something about J.L. Chestnut. J.L. Chestnut was the only black lawyer in Selma. J.L. Chestnut, as you know, and we're gonna t- we gonna I'm, gonna I'm gonna find black in Selma. It might be in storage. I might have to go out there and go through some of them boxes, find. Because J.L. Chestnut left. Uh, I think he went to fist too, but he went to law school at Howard Law School. Guess who followed him about six years later? Bruce Boynton. Bruce Boynton followed in JF Chestnut's footsteps out of Selma. And then in Christmas, right around this season, after he's finishing up his semester at Howard University School of Law, Bruce Boynton gets on the trailways bus and the bus leaves DC. The bus gets to uh Richmond <laughs> gets to Richmond, Virginia, and the bus, they let them off for about half an hour. Go get you something to eat. Once to goes in the trailway station, sees the black seating area, is just nasty. They ain't mop, this is don't look sanitary. So he gets his ham sandwich and I think it was ham sandwich and a cup of hot tea, for sure. Sits in the white side. the hell's wrong with you man you can't sit in the white but you can no you don't No, sir so they arrest him find him ten dollars he don't pay the fine and the thing has to work its way through the courts december 1958 that's when it happened two years later the case reaches the supreme court and in the case of boynton versus virginia this is the case by the way from in fact, our brother was writing about this, uh, Mike, Mike Harry. Mike tell a story, he's storyteller. Mike, 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 Mike might be moving toward their doma status. I don't care, you know what I'm saying? But you can't be a politician and be a DOMA, See Barack Obama. But at any rate, you might be a lightweight jolly. And they got versions of jollies too. They got hype man jollies as well. Like a hype man jolly ain't got to respect none of the truth. So when Barack Obama gets up and says, you know, America we're going to be true to our founding principles. OK, you a hype man, Jolly, because that ain't got nothing to do with reality. But you're trying to build a country. understand. He's getting the blood circulation in Frankenstein. But at any rate, Boynton, leaving D.C. to go home to Selma, stops in Virginia, goes, in the, goes into the uh, terminal, sits in the white side. That case ends up at the Supreme Court. It's argued by Thurgood Marshall, who took the case. That case asks the question, is the terminal inside the Greyhound bus station subject to the interstate commerce clause? Because it's inside the station. You ain't on the bus. Why is that an important distinction? I'm going to wind this up in a second. Because prior to Boynton versus Virginia, there was a case involving a sister who had uh, miscarried her baby and was going home to Baltimore from her husband's home in Virginia. And that case makes it to the Supreme Court, too. Her name was Irene Morgan. Irene Morgan, 1946, Morgan versus Virginia. That case was argued by the great Spotswood Robinson, uh, also a graduate of Howard Law School, like Thuriel Marshall, like J.L. Chestnut, like Bruce Boynton. That's why they called Charles Hamilton Houston the man to kill Jim Crow. He'd have trained all these lawyers. See, there's a standard we should have in terms of HBCUs. And that standard isn't in the future, ladies and gentlemen, that standard is in our living memory. If we remember it, stop aspiring to be something else when you should go back and check what excellence looks like. And I give you a hint. Excellence don't look like what you look like going forward. You need to balance that with what you did before. But at any rate, Irene Morgan wins that case. and, And Morgan versus Virginia stands for the case that when you're dealing with interstate travel, you cannot have segregation violation of the 14th Amendment. Why is that important? Because the following year, James Farmer and them, with the Congress of Racial Equality, create something called the Fellowship of Reconciliation, and they have the first freedom ride. After Bruce Boynton, Bruce Carver Boynton, gets arrested, and that case makes it to the Supreme Court. Now they said it ain't just the bus, it's the bus station, too. The following year, 1961, is when C.T. Vivian and John Lewis and Autumn cats engage in the freedom rides. Why is all that important today on a Saturday, last Saturday in November? Because Bruce Carver Boynton, who lived very quietly, Bruce Carver Boynton, who was friends with Hank Sanders and Rose Sanders. In fact, Rose and Hank Sanders were law partners with J.L. Chestnut. Bruce uh, Bruce Carver uh, Boynton made transition this week. And what we're talking about? I would be willing to bet cash money. You ain't seen none of it on CNN while Van Jones and S.E. Cup trying to create a Frankenstein monster they own. Thank thank the Republicans for doing their job. Dude, you got to really slow your road. But we get to that with Chappelle. This man right here, I don't care if he didn't do anything except sit at his house for the rest of his life. He represents a group of people who started fighting, organizing for voting rights. You see what they say? 1920. This is Dallas County, that's where Selma is. He represents school teachers and you know, I couldn't resist. I had to get my, just uh, the history of the Alabama State Teachers Association. The school he went to was named for a dude that helped fight this struggle. In fact, Frederick D. Reese was one of the guys, he got fired from his job because the teachers and the students walked out of Selma High School in solidarity for voting rights. Here go the teachers on the bridge with John Lewis and them. It wasn't just John Lewis. In fact, when they wanted to rename the bridge, John Lewis Bridge, people in Selma was like, "Mm, we love John Lewis. He's cool. But you know, we got a lot of people down here that if you're going to put his name on it, in fact, just call it the Jubilee Crossing Bridge. Don't don't name, because see, if you start naming people, I want Amelia Boynton Robinson's name. I want, you know, Sam Boynton's name. I, there are a lot of people. I want the high school students who walked out of Selma High School. I want I want Frederick D. Reese. You know the D at Douglas. I want these people. Reese lost his job. And then he told the teachers in the, in the segregated school, now y'all going to sign y'all contracts. Because I don't want everybody to lose their job. This is the Dallas County Voters League and a son of the people who organized that league, a son of the courageous eight, a son of them became an ancestor this week. And I've heard far too much about Michael Flynn. So at any rate, that's how I know it ain't no nation. There is no nation. United States is not a nation. It's a bunch of different people. And depending on the story you tell and the people you identify with, you know when you can say this will become a nation? It will become a nation when everybody knows about Amelia Boynton Robinson. And maybe you scrape a couple of them fake. Uh, I started to say scrape a face off mushroom, but we did a whole uh, class on that. It shouldn't be nobody out there to begin with. Yeah, it's just set the colonial So Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle, American Doma. <laughs> I think that's probably Ch- Chappelle for me is someone not only brilliant, but someone who has been forced into a courage that he had, but the circumstances have forced that courage to emerge in a way that has transcended folks in his line before him, including prior in many ways. So we ask the question, what is the role of a comedian? Now, from Pate Ba, and he was writing about doma and jelly, and uh, the, if the African memory keepers were listening, they would say a comedian. What's a comedian? A comedian, is somebody that makes you laugh. It's okay, so you got somebody in your society whose only job is to make you laugh? Yeah. Mm, that seems kind of silly. And so y'all don't laugh in your society? No, of course we laugh. But what is the function? Well, the function is to relieve stress. And oh, so it's kind of like a jolly then. What do you mean? Well, in our society, Jollies sing. You know, they have chorus. Sometimes they play them, sometimes they're accompanied. They tell humorous stories. Sometimes they lay, Sometimes they story make tell a story and make you cry. Really? They do all that? So they, are they committed Well, I don't know. I mean, y'all seem to chop things up funny in this society. You got people who just do very specific jobs. And then somebody might say, Well, are are your jollies or your domas? Are they storytellers? Well, they tell stories. Are they entertainers? What do you mean? like we have Andre 3000, Young Jeezy, we have, you know, uh uh no, no. And then and at that point, the Africans probably look around like, who are these people? <laughs> what do you have a society or not? I'm getting confused. And guess what? They might look over and say something to say for example, the Koreans. Cuz I know, you know, I, I you know, we we be on Netflix, right? And so one of my very closest friends hit me to this korean medieval korean series kingdom have you seen that it's it's the koreans and so but it's set like in the 16th 17th century and what you see is when you have a culture that is homogeneous or at least close enough with common memory you can have internal class conflicts and gender and all that but you're resolving it in ways that speak to a common culture you don't have a common culture in the society so Dave Chappelle. Is a doma of sorts. He's between Jolly and Doma, and let's think about the context that led up to Unforgiven, last week. January two thousand two, Chappelle show, debuts. Now Dave Chappelle been around. If y'all saw Half Baked and some of the movies, we know that, right? One of my very good friends, actually, she I saw her on Twitter this morning when we get ready coming here. Sharon Johnson out there on the West Coast. She wrote for, for one of his movies. She's a screenwriter, a professor, academic. You know, Sister has a brilliant analysis of how media operates and how race operates and gender operates. is very important. So, I mean, Dave Chappelle has been around. Right. And so that show goes a couple of years. And then Chappelle, who's blowing up, you got Charlie Murphy, you got, you know, Dwayne Bixby, you got all these skits. Right. And it's emerging Comedy Central Viacom. That's going to become important in a minute as well. The same Viacom that tried to body my brother, Nick Cannon. And now looking around to try to find a replacement, Nick Cannon, because this goes to the second of Chappelle's points he's made in the minute in terms of don't get between nobody and their money. And they form like Voltron as a group. They try to get DC Young Fly. Young Fly was like, I'm not taking over Wild and Out unless Nick bless it because Nick is the one that hired me. The company didn't hire me. And so, oh, now you're going to have a problem. Why? Because like Dave Chappelle, Nick Cannon would say, okay, hmm. I got the corporations I'm dealing with. I got myself in the middle, but I got the community. And so the question is, can you galvanize the community? If there is a possibility of having a nation that will respond to you and values you, the answer may be yes, which is why I think Chappelle is stepping out on that thing. But let me, let me, let me keep going. So after two years of the Chappelle, the Chappelle show, he gives that infamous, the audience is stupid uh, set in Sacramento, California, because he goes out, he's doing stand-up, which is his thing, by the way. That's not my analysis or or your analysis, Karen, or anybody else's analysis. That is him. What he says is the microphone is my thing. I am in this space. In that way, I see him. I imagine him, as we talked about in the 846. I imagine him in some ways as an echo, as an extension of his mother in that way. Who he thanked when he got the Mark Twain prizes we talked about. She is a master teacher, Yvonne Sion, Dr. Sion. I mean, you know, so I see him kind of influenced by that. And he's in this space. Right. And so. He at that thing in California after the second season of Chappelle's Show, he says, you know, and why y'all listen to celebrities? Ooh. He said they do what they do for money. He says I made ads for Coke and Pepsi, and I can't tell the difference. But pe- Pepsi paid me more, so I guess it's Pepsi. I mean, but he's 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 truth-telling. You see it there, but it begins in a way because he has become famous, even though he's been around, his platform has blown up because of Chappelle's show, a show, by the way, that he had pitched, as he said, to HBO. HBO said they don't want it. And now they're coming around and pimping him, which is really the point of it. This is a Doma trying to grapple people as archetypes. He's trying, you know, because Dave Chappelle now, because of his platform, has become an archetype. Why is that important? Let's go to another thing. When we talked about Beyonce, black is king. We talked about the Orisha, these different people think all these Africans had all these different gods. No, what they did was give names to these these various principles that they apprehended not only in nature, but in human behavior. So when you become a celebrity, when you get a quote unquote platform or you or you are granted a platform, so to speak, people start paying attention to you. You get elevated beyond your self into this archetype of sorts. So now people have expectations of you that are not human expectations, which is why I think later on he says Prince is the only one who can understand what I was talking about. We're going to get to that in a second. In fact, I pulled, Prince didn't leave an autobiography, but he started a, a memoir with a writer who then went out to Paisley Park and pulled together, along with a team, a lot of the other stuff. And so if you've ever, this is a book, too, and they sell this to Sankofa. In fact, I got this one at Sankofa, Prince, The Beautiful Ones. This is the uh, the first section of it. Is the memoir part the part that he left? I mean, you got his handwriting, and they transcribe it, and you see the thing. But but I'll get to prints in a second. So you know, it's important to understand that we are talking about trying to 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 navigate a hostile country in ways w- that don't fully reveal themselves. What I mean by that they don't fully reveal themselves because this settler project has an agenda. That's why Clyburn and them are biting around the edges for cabinet positions. The Native Americans, for example, have said in the Department of the Interior, they'd like to see Deb Holland, Congresswoman Deb Holland, to be the director of the Bureau of Indian Affairs. I agree, because the Bureau of Indian Affairs is not staffed by Native Americans. And they said that would send a message. But what 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 Biden is pushing back with and his team is we can't afford to lose anybody from the uh, from the Congress. So I don't know about Holland or uh, I don't I don't know about Marsha Fudge. (laughs) I see because you got an agenda, Wall Street. You know, foreign policy, y'all got an empire to preserve, you know. And so, but but we have an agenda. Who is we? Well, those of us who want to do right by people, and, and nah, hell no, nah, hell no, nah, hell no. Nah. We're going to see can we sneak another one past you? That's why we got to keep pushing. Now, who can say that? Can't be Clyburn, can't be Obama, can't, but it can be Dave Chappelle. Why? Because comedian is as close as you get to Jolly and Doma. In American society, which is why we tend to create archetypes out of our black comedians. Because you can look at somebody and say, You white boys are racist. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> Wait, why am I laughing? Oh, it's about as close as you can get to a DOMA in America is the comedy. Because if you can say it while they laughing, by the time they realize that you're not dealing with them, you're you, that you're, t- you're truth telling, you really engaged in irony. See, irony is very important to this, which is why with all due respect to my friends and brothers, people like, you know, even Ken and them, you know, how to be anti-racist. God bless you. Do that work. Get that check. After all, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Amad Aubrey, windfall is real. Because I know because they they printing the check. Do Do what you got to do, right? But at the same time, don't think that you're occupying a DOMA function because the DOMA is a different idea. So Dave Chappelle, after the thing happens in California, then they said, well, season three of Chappelle's show is going on. Wait, it's going to be postponed. Wait a minute. Indefinitely. Next thing you know, he in South Africa. But what does he say about that? I needed to find some of the right people around me. And he said, I know I was in one thing. We were workshopping a skit. And at some point, this white dude was laughing, laughing, laughing. And I thought, is he laughing at me or with me? Now. Here's my question. In a racist society where Black people are dying every day and nobody other than Black people and a few white allies are trying to even make some noise, much less change any policy, can anybody really be laughing with you? Can anybody really be hurting with you if they haven't put their whole body on the line and change? I mean, has can anybody, I mean, when you see Deborah White Plume out there at Wounded Knee, these are the Native Americans. When you see them take over Alcatraz in 69, these are the Native Americans. I mean, so we should be there with them, right? In fact, this after, of course, wound, after what happened at Wounded Knee, then they tried to put uh, uh, Dennis Banks and Russell Means on trial for killing some FBI agents. And who's there with them? Kwame Ture. This is in the uh, We Are Still Here. There goes Stony Carmichael, Kwame Ture. That's what we supposed to be doing. If you ain't doing that, I don't need you sitting in my club laughing at me or talking about how much you love me on Chappelle's show. So. What happens? Chappelle, from the time he leaves, go to South Africa in 2005 until 2016. I'm not talking about the Radio City Music Hall thing he did a couple of years ago. I'm not talking about this, the pop up stand ups. He inks a Netflix deal. And about about four years ago this month. He's gonna do three shows for twenty million. That ends up being four. That ends up being five. So you know, deep in the heart of Texas, age of spin, those are things he already had in the can. Then equanimity, the Bird Revelation, which was interesting because anybody know anything about jazz? No, Charlie Parker was like, yeah, you know, I could play the melody. I play the melody, and then I realized if I just take the chords out the melody and play the changes, I can change. And he said that opened up everything. So, so what Chappelle is saying is, I'm gonna change the narrative. I'm gonna go between. The melody. I'm looking at the chord structure and I'm gonna attack the chord structure. And then, of course, sticks and stones. He's catching hell from uh sticks and stones, and he's chasing hell because he's saying, you know, and then 846. Why? Okay, now it was funny, but she shit ain't funny right here. It's me too stuff, and now you read, hey, 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 a domain. And uh Humpate bob would probably slap me on the back of my neck and say, Don't stretch this metaphor too far, son, because you're talking about America and you know that ain't no nation. I'm talking about Africa and, and African people that go back centuries. You're talking about a settler colonial project that's already falling apart. So don't make the metaphor too tight. And I'll probably say to him, Baba, you're right, but I have to do it this way because we haven't recovered enough of our memory to do it any other way. So I would say this, a doma can't be canceled. Dave Chabelle says, I can't be canceled. People saying, we would try to cancel you. How do we know that they might try to cancel you? Because you have no friends. And this brings us to what he did last week. Dave Chappelle goes on Instagram. And I don't have an no Instagram account, but, you know, apparently it was it woken was up for everybody, right? Or oh, I should probably finish the, uh, let me, let me, let me, let me, before I get to that, I should finish the timeline. Uh, so he does all these specials between the end of 2016 and 2020. And now, you know, he is now at a moment when he can't be canceled, apparently. And not to say people won't try. Because like I said, they tried to cancel Nick. But the beautiful thing about Nick, I love that brother for a number of reasons. One of which is, if you can be who you are, even in the most difficult set of circumstances. One of the reasons I love you, uh, Karen. If you can be who you are in in even the most difficult circumstances, we all going to die. The question is, how do you live? And when he said, you know, Prince, they they, they did some liner notes for Purple Rain, a new edition came out. And uh, in fact, let me, let me, he said, Prince understood. He said, when I saw Prince, I saw somebody who was doing what I was trying to do. And I said, I'm not crazy. And I'm not the only one. That's what Dave Chappelle said. Let me go to what Prince says here. This is in the beautiful ones. This is page uh, 47, the last sentence in the preface. Uh, The writer, Dan Pippenbrain, who was writing with Prince, he says, by now, you must know what that purpose is. What was the purpose of the book? He says, I hope you're ready to give yourself over to it. And he ends with a Prince quote. He says, try to create. Prince told me that day in Melbourne when they first met, quote, I want to tell people to create. Just start by creating your day, then create your life. Chappelle says, you know, that's why when I talked to Prince after I walked away from the deal at Comedy Central and went out into the quote unquote wilderness and other people's minds, the the one person who understood was Prince. He said, whatever you say, you're right. (laughs) Whatever you say, you're right. And so Chappelle doesn't, you know, it starts with him. It starts with I'm gonna stay in my position, whether I change my mind or not. It's like Du Bois, whatever, wherever I change my mind or not, I'm gonna keep growing. I'm gonna keep moving. I'm gonna keep Anna Arnold Hedgeman. When you see that in her mouth, uh, mind, she, she meets, with, she gets Malcolm X to participate in protests. She's, she meets with Stolie Carmichael, and she's with the Black Power people too. And they try to get her to talk bad about Malcolm X. Oh, that's another day. It's another day. But you stand in your truth, even as you change, people can rely on that. That is. And then you turn it outward and engage in the teaching function. That's what I believe he was doing in Saturday Night Live last month, or earlier this month when he said, I'm going to give out these N-word lessons. These N-word lessons. In other words, see, I'm not an N-word. You, I'm going to give you a lesson on how to be one because I know how to be one, getting the fact that you've done it to me. But I'm about to give you one now. And so here he is in this Instagram. I'm watching this Instagram with this act of theft that is taking place, and he calls it theft. And I'm saying, dude, this is very simple. In fact, he knows that, he, uh, this, this ain't even, he, he said it. You signed the contract, bruh. You was a young bull, you know, you signed the contract. So you know what it is. He said, I gotta get people to do this with me. And so the lawyers, and then I realized the lawyers may be on the other team, so F you, I'm on it, right? I gotta do it myself. I said, bruh, you, you should have known that. I guess he probably did know it, but he maybe trusted the lawyer, hell. Go back to, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this old black and white. I was watching it last week. Um, uh, In a moment of alchemy. Love it. The great Nat King Cole from Montgomery, Alabama, not too far from Selma. And of course, the great Eartha as we talked about from South Carolina when Nat Cole played W.C. Handy in the film St. Louis Blues. And there's a scene in there when he comes in the little club where Eartha Kid is singing because she gonna make him into a star. She gonna sing his songs, but she going with the club owner who is Cab Calloway, Baltimore's Cab Calloway. And he comes in and, and, and Nat slash WC Handy is excited because he done sold a song and this song is gonna be great, right? I think it was Yellow Dog Blues. And so uh, Cab Callaway is like, oh yeah, yeah, good job. He said, yeah, I met with this lawyer. He said, Oh, yes, you met with a lawyer. That's my lawyer. He said, He he wrote me a fat check for $500, $800, what it was. And that Cole was like, What? He's all, oh, yeah, you sign those rights away. And he was like, What the hell? So he gets ready to, to punch him out or whatever. They separate them. And then Cab Calloway tells Nat King Cole, the club owner tells WC Handy, He says, Consider yourself lucky. You got a lesson on the cheat while you're young. He took his rights for his song, and what a handy understand after that. Don't be selling your rights to your song because somebody said they're gonna give you $50 when it's worth a whole lot more. But you was too young to know. 15-year-old Dave Chappelle gives his joke away. The big dude is like, Yeah, I could just take this joke. Then three years later, 18 years old, you know, he blows up the three-card money game. Once he realized in New York that everybody in on it, and the dude's getting ready to punch him out, but he sees the fear and backs up and says, I'm gonna give you a lesson, young buck. Never become between come between a man and his meal. Never become between a person and their money. So, what we saw, I think, last week with Dave Chappelle is someone who really almost sits in that doma space, looking for a community to be a doma for, to be a doma to, which is why he then. Creates this, this he creates a narrative where he talks about the fact he says, Yeah, I signed the contract. Yeah, that's America. That's the world, right? I signed the contract. But is it right? What do you mean, is it right? Oh man, you sound like you sound like Bruce Boynton in the damn trailways when he was trying to drink his hot tea and they told him this is the law. He said, hey, I don't care if it's the law. Is it right? Because what Boynton told them that day he got arrested was, I am a citizen. I should be able, and first you should probably clean up where our people's No, Is it right? When you say, is it right? You are no longer talking about America. All oh, you pilgrim worshiping, thanks. I know y'all say y'all don't worship pilgrims, but you act like this a holiday means something. Why? You are now embracing a concept that's bigger than the law. When Chappelle says, is it right? He's tapping into human community. When Boynton says, this is not right. He's tapping into human community. And the only question then, Anybody has to ask is whether you're gonna pick your humanity over the law. Now that could be for good or that could be for bad. Amy call me Barrett, Miss Handmaiden and your friends, Justice Gorsuch, Justice McConnell Gorsuch, Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Clarence Thomas, and Sam Alito. Y'all picked y'all religion over the law. I am not mad at you. Do it. I embrace it. Why? Because what you don't seem to understand is what Dave Chappelle ended that set with, which is, at the end of the day, right will out. So he says, "I'm not asking y'all to cancel. Uh, I'm not asking y'all to cancel the Supreme Court. I'm at Supreme Court. I'm not asking y'all to cancel Viacom. I'm not asking. I'm. I'm asking y'all to cancel me. Don't watch this until they pay me. And when I heard that, I heard echoes." of every human being that is picked right over the structures they found themselves in. And I think that's what we were watching. I have an article of faith that transcends any attempt to appease. So Van, S.E. Cup applauding the GOP state level officials for doing their job while ignoring, as our sister Sharon Eiffel said, the fact that this was not a smooth election, why? You're just gonna ignore all the voter suppression? You're serving as, you really are more serving like a griot, but I'm gonna give you jolly, you a hype man jolly. In other words, let's just all come together. It was a smooth election, and thank you Republicans for doing your job. Okay, you ain't no DOMA, and that's fine, because DOMAs are rare, and what Dave Chappelle is flirting around the edges with in fact he seems to be sitting in it now finally he's sitting in a doma position right now and when Mm -hmm. you're a doma you better understand that if you're in a doma in america you don't have no team except the people who choose to be with you so the question now is not about dave chappelle the question is about the rest of us the question and and that and so this this is just one more example of we got to choose now what we're going to do
0: And, that, and that's why I wanted to ask you, somebody that studied the law. You just held up some books yes. uh, with treaties that were broken. You know, there are no laws in this country. There, are, so, so what Dave is saying, and I feel this way, and this is what what struck at me: the contracts, they knew that they were setting him up to exploit. And it goes back to Prince create what? because they can't create, so they can only steal because they can't do what he does, they can't do what Prince does, they can't do what most of us who our creatives can do. So they have to steal it and get paid for the rest of their life. What do you say? Right.
1: In perpetu- except, perpetuity? Except, except when they can't. For something that you can't do. That because this is also very important. The Doma has a teaching function as well. This is why again, his mother is so important in this. You know, how do we value teachers in this society? Anytime you have entertainers who people are looking to to learn lessons less academic lessons you got a problem you, know what you got a problem i mean you know like dave chappelle said in that why y'all listen to entertainers they pay us to do this in other words so anytime you're looking at athletes to educate you no 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 no, no. you use the platform to build institutions because you don't see that in in, in societies where they, they, they're anchored in a different kind of thing. But how this country, and it is a country, it's not a nation, a country is just a territory with some, with some ostensible rules, right? But how this country treats teachers tells you the fact that it's not a country. In other words, you abuse the people who are trying, and the ones you abuse the most, which is why I got hella hell of respect for the people at the Zen Education Project, um, all my Freedom Schools people, You know, this is why you know um, you have people starting their own schools. The ones you abuse the most are the ones who are trying to be doma, who are helping people think for themselves. But when you when you raise that with Dave Chappelle, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. People think anybody can teach because of that disrespect, and you see this at K twelve. You see it at the universities. Y'all just interchangeable. It is the same. It is the same deteriorated mindset that will enable a Viacom, which is now, you know, there was CBS. And by the way, that means what? Uh, MTV, which they built on the back of Michael Jackson and then once they realized that they couldn't stop him they said, well, now we need to let them on. And now it's everything, uh, which is BET. (laughs) Which is BET, it's black, it ain't black. Come on now, let's be serious. Let's be serious about this. But this is why Viacom, would then turn to a D.C. young fly who Nick hired and said, we want you to reboot Wildman out. Eight figures is what's being reported. And he looked at them and said, you didn't hire me. Nick hired me. And if I were to do it, it would be only with his full blessing. And Nick's position is, like Thelonious Monk said, they say, Monk, are you worried about them copying you? I said, man, by the time they copy what I did, I'm doing something else. In other words, Guess who, and I love this about Nick, and you got that same you, you, you that same position, I love it. The people who know that what they create is coming from the deepest part of who they are and people respond to that, those people bet on themselves. Nick always says, you know, you can't fire a boss. In other words, I, I'm betting on myself. You can't replace me. You can get somebody else and maybe y'all will do fine. I'm not thinking that. Chappelle knows he doesn't have a leg to stand on in the legal world. But he also understands that he does have a leg to stand on. Why? Because these people have lied to our Native American kin since they came here. Liars. They signed paper and violated it. Knew they was gonna violate it while they signing it. But guess what? The law never means anything except in the larger field of the society the law emerges from. So none of these things mean anything. That's why you talk about John Locke and a social contract. That's why you want to come through and talk about Montesquieu, the spirit of laws. That's why when you finally decide to let Europe go as the thing we worship, you go into the Muslim area. You go into Islam, for example, and look at I was just pulling I was reading something the other night rereading the Tariq Al-Fatash. This is the Timbuktu Chronicles 1493, 1599. This is just one English translation. You know, Africans, and forget the Pacific Rim, forget the Koreans and the Chinese. Everybody got rules. And guess who gets ahead in the world? The people who have the rules that they go by. Good, bad, or indifferent. That means you could blow up the world. That means you could save the world. But the consensus is what drives everything. So what Chappelle understands is, I don't have a leg to stand on in a court of law, except if y'all stop watching, they come into the table. He throws a little bone at the end. I mean, I want to. I want to negotiate. I want to, but stop watching. And again, the test will be what we do. This is why what we're doing right now is so very important. We don't own YouTube. We don't own the technology as such. However, every week, more and more people thinking, more and more people having a conversation. Now we move into this next calendar year. We build some more. We build some momentum. And guess what? People worried about how they're going to pay tuition. People worry about how they, hey, 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 in this moment, let all that go. This is built on our consensus. And anything you think you get in those walls is probably inferior to what you can get in our conversations. Because our conversations are going to be informed with a different worldview. And they will be at least as rigorous as anything you pay an all this incredible amount of money for. But Chappelle, Chappelle is, you know, and he's not the first no, he's not the first, he's not the first, but talk, but, about, Dick,
0: talk about Dick Gregory.
1: Oh man, Baba Dick, oh, man, Dick Gregory. Definitely. In fact, that's one reason. Oh, I and I think I mentioned this before. In fact, we did eight, four, six. That's why I say mm-hmm. we, we can go back and look, you know, I remember when Christian, his son, who kind of was his business manager, um, we, he was working on a book and I was helping him. And so he would come up to Howard to meet and I would be like, you know, Chris called me and said, Christian called me and said, uh, yeah, man, Pop's gonna be a little ladies up late last night. So, no, oh, man, no problem. We can we can postpone. We can do it another day. He said no, nah, he don't like the miss. And sure enough, he come sliding up on campus in that little two seat Benz he had. Silver Benz parked it wherever the hell he want. Nobody said anything to him. Parked in front of middle school because his, his son Johanse, my man, at one time had helped run the middle school. So the the kids, everybody loved it greatly. But. He came that afternoon because he had been up all night holding court with the black comedians and a few others at, at the Kennedy Center because Eddie Murphy had won the Mark Twain prize and they they take the ceremony. And afterward, they all went back to his room and he, he he stayed up all night schooling them. And so, you know, it's a tight, it's a tight fraternity and sorority of those comedians. And so, you know, when you hear a Monique or a Samore, you know, Neil Nealong sister, or when you look at um, uh, even a Kevin Hart or anything Okay. Okay. Some of this stuff I don't like, some of this stuff I like, fine, you do what you do. But Dick Gregory sat at the center of a kind of intergenerational dialogue out of respect and Dick Gregory who walked away from a trajectory of say a Bill Cosby, who again, Cosby is very interesting to, you know, I think mean, Cosby, Cosby definitely a job. But in terms of a doma function, he gestured toward a doma function, too, in the late 60s. You go through the 1970s and you look at some of that stuff. In fact, we talked about Sidney Poitier one time. I pulled one of these books that was printed overseas on the history of Sidney Poitier. You know, he, Belafonte, Cosby, they're trying to figure out a way to get some truth telling. If you look at some of those films, like Man and Boy, or you look at some some of the stuff they're doing in the 70s, even the comedies, Uptown Saturday Night, Let's Do It Again, Piece of Action. I mean, there's an attempt to bridge but dick gregory goes straight into i'm in the street with the people i'm gonna still tell jokes in fact telling jokes might be how we raise some money but i'm gonna keep doing and he empties that he empties his whole vessel when he's when he does the nutrition thing he actually checks into a black hospital in new orleans adjacent to dillard university my man president dillard walter kimbrough tell this story much better than i can and he does this fasting piece he's gonna bring us into that but he's never gonna stop being funny and i promise you to the end of his physical life. Dick Gregory I mean, Dick Gregory you know, uh, he say, hey man, you going to come see me at the Howard, Howard Theater uh, tomorrow night? i say, oh, bye-bye. you going to be at the Howard Theater? Say, yeah, come on down, man. Dick Gregory would come out on stage with a stack of newspapers and books that make this look like, you know, this, <laughs> the preschool, and then just sit in a chair and just basically teach. And so Chappelle <laughs> Chappelle is austere with it. Now, he's going to have his cigarette, you're going to have his drink, he might have his notebook out there. But Dick Gregory would come with the bags. I don't care if we didn't talk about anything in any of the bags he would bring. Every time he came up, we would meet to work on this thing. He would, he would have, he would have bags. I would have bags. Like where are we going with these bags? I had some students. I hey, mean, come on here. We would all have bags going up in the library. He'd spread everything out on the table and then start. Shoot, I'm starting. I had to look here for now for stuff. And he would have everything in the bag. I got some. Mm-mm. I'd have to find it. I was sniffing one day. He went in the bag and pulled out a little thing of peppermint. I won't even use it. And I said, put this up in you. What what you doing, man? Dick Gregory's thing was, I'm a human in the world. And I'll I'll end with this on Dick Gregory. Because I know you got Dick Gregory stories. Everybody has Dick Gregory stories. If you spend any time around Dick Gregory. Dick Gregory's thing was, I am tapped into the universal source. So you can't do nothing to me. I don't have any fear because fear is a rejection of the knowledge that there is a universal force. I represent the universal guy, and you do too. You just gotta remember, I know. So I ain't got no problem. And when when Dave Chappelle said the other night, I was a devout Muslim. <laughs> I wasn't, tell, I'm out here taking crack, I wasn't doing it. I do it now, because <laughs> y'all drove me crazy. I'm saying, no, bro. please. Because I got, you know, some people looking at him saying, is he, is he, is he unraveling? Is he reaching the breaking point? I certainly think he's at an event horizon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't know what you think about that. What, what do you think, Karen? Because I mean, it's very complex what's going on with him. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't know him. So,
0: yeah, I think you wake up and I'm I'm edging towards that place where you 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 no longer believe in anything that you were raised to believe, not just Santa Claus and all of it. You know all of the wholesome things that you you believe about America. There are a lot of Christmas things on Netflix right now. And, you know, and shout out to them, uh, even though it was financially expedient for them to take Chappelle's show off because they don't want to piss off Dave Chappelle, who they want to be in business with because he makes them way more money than the Chappelle show would. That was a very wise decision on their part, even though they had the right to do it. I think, you know, every person, every black person right now has to, Come to um, you know, those crossroads that you talk about. You talk about the crossroads.
2: Yeah.
0: I think black people are at a crossroads where we have to decide whether or not we're going to help men, you talked about Clyburn, help mend this thing or let it do what it's gonna do, knowing that we are part of a universal experience spiritually that cannot be created nor destroyed. So let's double down on the goodness. And what what I walked away from that. Um, piece that unforgiven, and I'm I'm not unforgiven. I forgive.
1: <laughs> Me too. I
0: don't forget. But <laughs> well, what yeah. I walked away from that was validation and vindication for how I'm living, which is, you know, we don't have any contracts because either we're gonna treat each other like like the brother and sister that we are, like the human beings that we are, we don't work together. That's and that's right. fine. You know, what are contracts? Everyone married, I've been been there. You get a contract, you sign on the dotted line. I don't feel like being with you anymore. We go get divorced. And who gets money? The lawyers. The lawyers. And what he was talking about, that three-card money, the whole system is designed to steal black creativity, energy, physical prowess, all of that. We get a little bit of it, And then somebody who can't do it gets the majority of it.
1: How about that?
0: And so I'm like, it's time for us to stop. Like even the publishing, I have uh, several people right now. They're so happy that they're published by the majors. I don't remember ever buying a book, looking at the spine to see who published it. How about that? Okay, I so so why does it matter to you that you're at Simon & Schuster? I remember how many books, you know, celebrities came and I was able to publish their books because I had a publishing deal with Simon & Schuster. But Simon & Schuster didn't put one ounce of energy into making your book hot. I did. Wow. Right? Wow. But their they name was on it. Yeah, so I'm just I'm sitting here like it's it's time, you know, you want you you talk about jailbreaking the universities. We got to break all of these chains. All of them. All of them.
1: Yes. So, yes. That's they what I it. thought. Karen, I think when you said that I, we're we're I, I can hear Dick Gregory now. He said when we make that decision, we're just being in divine order. The only question is what we're going to do. The question isn't what's going to happen. In fact, I just got this book there for yesterday. Toby Orr. It's called The Precipice. Mm. Existential Risk and the Future of Humanity. He's a philosopher at Oxford. Not that that matters at all, because to your point, I mean, that's one that's one good reason. Uh, One, 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 one. another great thing about being comrades and friends and brothers with Paul Coates. I mean, listen, when we have our own, we don't worry about anything else. We shouldn't be worried. But what he's saying here is very interesting. He says humanity's future is the central challenge of our time. He says, if all goes well, human history is just beginning. Our species could survive for billions of years, enough time to end disease, poverty and injustice and to flourish in unmanageable and unimaginable ways. But this vast future is at risk. With the advent of nuclear weapons, humanity entered a new age where we face existential catastrophes, those from which we could never come back. And that's when. So, for example, Biden, I'm talking about creating a climate. A position in the cabinet and making it a cabinet level position, and there's debate. Let's be very clear because, yeah, I, I definitely forgive. I forgive black people too much. In fact, I take a lot of the L's I take now. But in terms of race and white nationalists, once you've declared you're a white nationalist, I'm not forgiving that. That would be foolish. Just be laying down the middle of the damn street. The, anybody who is arguing that we shouldn't be addressing the environment, I think about my, my good friend Lennox Yearwood and these folks, you know, hip hop cops and the environment you know, and the the Native American nations. This is what they were talking about with Dakota uh, XL. This is what they were talking about Standing Rock. Water is life. In fact, your sister said, in in, in my culture, in the Lakota culture, women are the protectors of the water. I have to be out here stopping this pipeline. Are you serious? I mean, that's what, but here's the thing, whether I'm out here or not, nature is going to have its way. The only question is whether or not the humans will be here. The earth going to be okay. You understand? You ain't gonna destroy the earth. The earth will reset, as the dinosaurs. So, when you when you embrace that larger sense of self, Karen, you you're showing us a way to not only survive but to thrive. That's what we have to do. I mean, and so, you know, I look at this recent election cycle, and you know, we got people on all forms and everything. And I look at how hard, you know, people like our sister, Ajua, by the way, I was born. I mean, she she left it all on the table. She had surgery. She came back. I mean, what are you doing? You need to be resting. I can't rest. This guy got to go. We got. I mean, and so, but what she tapped into? What Latosha Brown tapped into? What Stacey Abrams and then tapped into? What all the women and men tapped into who were in this? This wasn't about D versus R. This wasn't even about Trumpism. This was about ultimately: Are we going to stand in the way of something that could ultimately destroy everything human? And are we doing it because we caping for this old dude? No. Are we doing it because we caping for Kamala Harris? No, we're doing it because we need to get. Can we move this thing a little bit closer to where we need to go? And once we've done that, how do we move it a little bit more? How do we move it a little bit more? I feel bad for Jim Clyburn. I don't feel bad enough for him not to be a critic. And I'm gonna respect him as an elder. And I'm not sitting here with I told you so. See, that's these Negroes that don't understand. I told you so don't get us nowhere. Now, you engage in the criticism, engage in the critique, engage in the analysis, and then figure out what's going to move us a little further. That's what Amelia Boynton Robinson did. That's what her son did. That's what all these black teachers did. This is what Anna Hedgeman did. How do we move a little bit further? When they told her in the 50s, well, are you talking of the Muslims. She said, because they live in New York and we need them. But you can't tell, you're a Christian. She said, what's that going to do with anything? Then she <laughs> she. She's in Ghana. Oh, okay, man, I just keep thinking about it. She's in Ghana, listening to Krumah. Then the United States comes out. They're helping to undermine the Congo. They're having a whole debate. Who walks in to Ghana to have a conversation about, hey, I need some help But Patrice Lumumba. Anna Hedgman had a conversation with Patrice Lumumba, and, she's saying, and she writes about it. She says, you know, I don't know that we should be back in the United States on this stuff. Because I got principles that go beyond flags and pieces of paper like the Constitution. And so the human rights struggle that we see, that's really closer to what we're talking about in terms of American electoral politics. Because Audra, who's Ghanaian, who raised in Connecticut, went to school in Philly, who lives in D.C. and who travels all over the country building black political power. She ain't doing it because of the flag. She's doing it because like her father, my classmate Kwame. Uh, her, her 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 father who was in Ghana she's doing it because there are deeper principles and the deeper principles is what you're talking about and I think it's what Dave Chappelle is talking about and those are the things that will sustain you, will sustain me, sustain Paul, sustain Dave I, all the rest of us but you know we just got to believe that we just got to believe it.
0: You ready to take
3: some questions? Oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah let's, let's... Yes sir!
0: So,
3: Dr. Carr for people who don't know, Dr. Carr and I go back to 1999 in Philadelphia some years I'm listening to this conversation, and I'm so thrilled that people are witnessing what I was able to witness at 14 years old. And so while I think many people have given you your flowers, I just want to say to you that what you, Sister Kelly, Sister Aisha, Sister Erica, what y'all did for us was that you played that function of a truth teller in the Mm -hmm. way that's critically needed in this moment. And when I think about Chappelle's performance, he starts off by emphasizing times in which he was either a child or people made him feel like he was a child and what you did for us what you did for me in 1999 2000 2001 was that you made it clear to us that we were not just children and you made it clear to us that we were not just your children and so you opened our eyes you set our minds on fire you told the truth Mm. which is what i hope uh we can we can get to uh, going forward, uh, but specifically, you told us that we were both not trapped in the way that society was telling us we were trapped, Yes, that there were ways that we could live our life so that we could untrap ourselves, and you presented the flip side of that, which was to say that there are some ways in which we are very much trapped, politically, <laughs> socially, and so I have here- What you got? Book, the yes, book. Yes, sir! Oh! That uh, kind of got things ticked off, which was the debt. Hello, so, book. Within that context, yes, sir. Uh, and, and bringing it back to Chappelle's oh, tell, comments, tell
1: everybody, tell everybody because I love my brother Todd Ozzy Coates and the case for reparations. But when did we what was 99 wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, we read, 99. yeah. So, for people who don't know, Randall Robinson was Todd Ozzy Coates before, uh, t- <laughs> and we were reading it. Y'all was reading, it. y'all was to, in fact, he came to meet with y'all. Remember that?
3: I don't remember that, he but came- I do, re- I, I do remember that you had uh busted us out of this model of individualism. Oh yeah. yeah. That very much is the, the oh, dominant God. way of organizing people and their sense of self. I think Brothers. Sister Hunter said in the last show that it starts with a sense of self. Yes. And you you broaden us and help us to realize that we were situated within these systems. So I don't I didn't do
1: me, mean to interrupt you maybe I mean, but now that's why I know now I remember why you wouldn't remember because you had go, by then you were off in college. Because of what you all did yes. with that book, he was so impressed, he wrote about it in his next book. He wrote about it in The Reckoning. He wrote about y'all. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, I yeah. also got to, uh, you know, oh, look. The, the official capture, but I, I, we won't go get down that memory book. lane Tell right me now.
1: Get that book, History of Philadelphia Freedom Schools. That's our people. I'm sorry, brother. I keep it Go ahead, man. Yeah.
3: Not a problem. Not a problem. So Chappelle is talking about being trapped. Yes. And I think uh, this pandemic has reminded many that we are actually in a number of crises in which we're feeling and living a sense of entrapment. And so from my perspective as someone who is a lawyer, who's worked at a firm as someone who is the plaintiff in a federal lawsuit alleging racial discrimination and retaliation against my former employer, Mm. who looked at me in the way that Chappelle talked about those executives looking at him, who looked at me to say you are trapped in what do we need me for? Um, who, by the way, uh, has representing them, the law firm that Loretta Lynch works at, who, by the way, went and got Jay Johnson on their side to represent them. So it's a big deal. A lot of power, a lot of money at stake. It is what it is.
1: Yeah, but it's you though.
3: But because of you, no, it's, it's, it's because of the community that, mm. was a, that I grew up in that helped me realize the ways in which I was not trapped that helped me realize the ways that I could untrap myself. So as we deal with this beast, getting to the question,
2: Mm.
3: how do we teach people to see the ways in which excessive corporate power is trapping their lives? We just went through this pandemic. Government has given out trillions of dollars, mostly to corporations. Yes, sir. And there's very little conversation about how that happened very little conversation about why a country as wealthy and powerful as ours could not produce enough masks for people over a period of time. Uh, other essential things related to the fact that many of our institutions, many of our our communities are trapped by a level of corporate power that has to be challenged.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, brother, first of all, I want to thank you. And Y'all don't know... Um, Loma is a lawyer, brilliant, brilliant scholar who was, was since the first day I met him and came, came out of Central High School and went on and the rest is history and waging war, intellectual warfare. I want to thank you for that. Um, I think you've given us part of the answer in terms of this kind of steadfast, deep spiritual, moral commitment to transformation. Um, that's the individual choice. And you're right, it's definitely fueled by community. Uh, what we did, what we tried to do in Philadelphia, which, which we continue to do—Kelly, Kelly, Sister Kelly uh, Sparrow, Mickens—you know—wrote history for Philadelphia. You know, she's still doing that work, and they're still doing it, a lot, along with a lot of your old running buddies, uh, Asherine Hines and all them. She was youngster hanging out at, y- at y'all ankles, and now she's she's coming on. But the um, Dearest Suleiman, so many of them. Yeah, I think we see that all over the country. Um, Karen had uh, our sister Rosa Clemente on uh, a couple of days ago. And this idea of loving each other, but then standing with each other and engaging in struggle. And I know that's what you're doing. I mean, not only in your in your fight against, you know, these forces that emerged out of the chain. I mean, you know, for those of you who wouldn't know, I mean, Columbia was recruited by, you know, the top law firms in the country. I mean, so so for you to walk away from that really shows your strength and their weakness. But I mean, in terms of your own social justice work. know i think about the work that you you did around with john powell now you're extending that work so i guess Mm -hmm. i would end by asking
3: can i pause can i pause can i interrupt? No, that's what i'm saying you talked about you talked because you you talked about humanity the turning point of my career yes was when i asked them to stop representing a for-profit prison that was the moment that 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 was was the moment when my career turned around they stopped giving me work for the next four months yeah with the belief with the with the belief that i was i would feel so trapped That I would do what many black lawyers do, many many employees do of any profession, which is which is leave and look for the next opportunity. And again, going back to this sense of self that you've uh, Mm. instilled in me, there was not a there there was not a chance there was not a chance that I was going to uh, allow them to uh, treat me as if I was not needed in any respect.
1: Yes. Well, I think you've given us the answer. I mean, and when you do, and when you make that choice. Where are the rest of us to surround you, to fortify you and the family so that you don't pay a price that is would be too much for anybody to bear, even though we've seen people bear. it. I mean, you know, Paul right. Rosen. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, we see people bear it. But when you make a choice like that, it seems to me the people who make choice like that end up OK. I think that's the interesting thing about it when you make that choice, now when you make the compromise, yeah. that's when you're hemming it hard and making excuses and all that kind of thing. But I think you've given us the answer, uh, Columbia. I, I, I would say this, network is so important as we know, because as we're having this conversation, Absolutely. you know what I'm saying? I mean, so so yeah. like if you, maybe we can end with that. How, um, where would you suggest to folks who are listening to us having this conversation? Give us a couple of places where there are people doing community building work that you say, you, you check this out, be you know, find out about these people, link with these folks because that's where you know we have our strength when we do it together yeah.
3: for sure. So, I think that you know, and I live in Harlem, there are a number of communities and institutions that are deeply committed, deeply focused on grassroots uh, liberation politics, but there's a gap as it relates to people understanding what corporate power is doing uh, to many of our, our institutions and many of those institutions that our liberation is tied to. So I've heard you and uh, Sister Hunter talk about um, publishing. Well, mm-hmm. Amazon has a stranglehold over the publishing industry in a way that's, that's killing off local bookstores, killing off those sources of of knowing, quite frankly. so. I have a few institutions in mind, none that I would uh, promote in this fashion, but we need a level of uh, collaboration and a level of analysis as it relates to corporate power, as it relates to the Federal Reserve, the Treasury, uh, much like anything else, because while a, a lot of our politics and solutions will start with what we can do as individuals, we're still situated within some of these larger I systems.
1: I see. This is good. And until,
3: and until we, we we wrestle with what's actually taking place within those institutions and understand that they're constantly recreating a different world. Yes. I think a lot of times our analysis points back to slavery or Jim Crow or That's the civil great. rights movement, but if you've worked in these corporate spaces, they're constantly reinventing That's right. forms of capitalism, forms of economic policies and systems in ways that we don't need everybody to to have a mastery of, but we need more people within the communities and the networks that we're both a part of to be tracking it and and guiding people as things are changing.
1: I agree with you. In fact, maybe that uh, that's very astute, brother. Like say, we don't put we will put all our, all our cards out, but we do say you're right. There's we have to have a renewed commitment to study, to understand, and that's what this space is for the conversation right now, somebody is saying more than one person, people are saying, what said so that brother, I really need capitalism. I guess that's true, but no 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 now it's time to push beyond and see, as you say, how these uh these formations continue to reinvent themselves. And you know, we talk about the fact that you know my my buddy Jared Ball talks about the fact that you know Absolutely. black buying power is a myth. And I'm Important. saying, yeah, that 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 that's true in one way, but it also you can't convert that into an abandonment of forcing public institutions to respond to demand. These are our resources. We're still paying taxes, so it's not either or. It's both and. And as you say, that Absolutely. takes a sophisticated level of analysis. And um, so, 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 so there is the independent institution building, the networking, and then there, like you said, there's the there's the making demands of power and making,
3: de- making demands of power and just. To be a slightly more specific than I've yes, been please. when it relates to monopolies specifically, yes. there's a lot of conversations around breaking them up versus attempting to regulate them, and I uh, hope that people pay attention to those those conversations because a lot of our institutions are captured.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and we and we have to do that work. I appreciate you, brother man. Yes. You say, man Your man TJ sent me this in class car. You know I can't wear it because that's way too fancy. But you went to Freedom School. TJ Dean sent me that. I'm like Word. Karen. I'm like, what in the world? But I,
3: hey, brother, I love you, man, and look. Love you too, sister yeah, Hunter. Thank you. Family.
0: Family. Oh, listen, um, I was just popping in. Thanks,
1: Karen.
0: Oh, okay. I'm here. I'm here. Uh, I, I just wanted to, you know, piggyback on something Coloma said because as he's talking, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how many of us are in corporations or in spaces. Can you? You can't hear me. It's the. It's. The, I can hear her. OK, you can hear. OK,
1: it's maybe you.
0: everybody else can Just look, Body on my side. OK, I have, a, I have a question. How many of us are in these spaces where we think we're there to check because they had to check a box? Do you know what I'm saying? So so that we feel grateful to be there as opposed to knowing that they need us not just to check a box, but they need what we bring to the table because they don't have it and they know they need it. And I think if we come into these spaces, understanding our true power and the gifts that we bring, but also when you talk about breaking up monopolies, right? Hmm. You know, I, Amazon, like what's the solution to that as black people, you know, we're, we're pushing Sankofa, you know, yeah. we're, we're having conversations with Paul Coates, we're, we're doing it. Is, it. is it possible for us to be intentional about how we spend our dollars? Dr. Carr started off talking about yeah. White Friday and, yeah. and, and how the season of, take money out of our pockets. When unemployment's going away, December 31st, a lot of people Ooh. are infected, and we are spent more money. $5.1 billion was spent during this period of time that we don't really even have for what, like why aren't we more intentional about building the things that we need in our community and then supporting them and then putting ourselves on a financial diet until we get everything in place. Mm. I, just, I feel like they're, they're, they're keys here. And i Want to thank you, Coloma, for dropping them in here today. No,
1: question. thank you.
0: Okay, Love all you, right, brother.
1: Talk to you soon. All right,
0: all right brother. Yes, bye bye. Right. We're gonna bring in the next uh person who is Gregory. Gregory's oh. gonna tell us where he comes from. You do you know Gregory too? Do you know no, everybody? Gonna,
1: the car? I, my, my I feel daddy, like you know daddy, everybody. Daddy. I'm gonna find out why he got that name. <laughs> all
0: right, all right. Wait, hold on. Let me let me get remove him and let me remove myself. Hi, Gregory.
2: Hey brother, Good. what's going on? Good afternoon. How is everybody doing today? Good, bro. How you
1: at? Where Where you at, man? How you How you doing? Well,
2: um, first of all, I want to say it's it's an immense pleasure to uh to meet meet you, though virtually, Dr. Carr. Pleasure. Um This pleasure. is one of one of the things if if I could have on my bucket list, it would be scratched off. Oh. So th- this is an immense honor to oh, me. Uh, I, I am currently in Maryland. Um, oh. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, it's. it's it's A lot of uh, parallels here, Greg and Gregory. All of that, no question. Um, I'm from New Orleans, I was born in New Orleans, moved to Houston <sighs> at the age of 10 due to uh Katrina. And uh, You're part
1: uh, of the Katrina. uh the Katrina diaspora,
2: y'all know a lot of folk ended up in Houston, yes, yes, part of that Katrina diaspora. So, came to Maryland, I played ball at uh at Morgan State. So, okay, I graduated You're from fans. Morgan in 2017. Yes, sir. Yes, the sir. The national treasure, as y'all, President Collins. Yes, now. yes, yes, sir. Yes, very sir. Very good, very good. So, um, like I said, uh, I'm one of those devote watchers uh, to, to the show. Um, I'm in class every Saturday. Usually, my son, who's one year old, he's usually here with me. Oh, my man. fiance, a couple of uh, my friends, we oh, grapple bro. with the ideas you guys present and discuss. And so, it was tough for me to come down to one concise question. Fine. So, I, I, I beckoned at them. And we came with, uh, we, we, we wanted you to kind of explain a little more on the Negro American revolution, which Dr. King, um, talked about a lot. Um, could you explain to us and give us more insight into the Negro American revolution, how, and if it has come to a conclusion and where do we stand in that regard currently?
1: Well, Bob, you know, we know that it hasn't, um, come to fruition in a sense, um, First of all, thank you, man. Like I said, we're just talking about Jared Ball. I don't know if you had Jared when you were there. No, but sir. No, sir. Okay, professor. He's in communication studies. So Dr. Ball, good brother. Um, you know, it's interesting. Morgan, I just think about it in terms of coming to coming to that question and coming to that observation. Um wait, I can't hear him. Somebody uh, let me just try to call. Um you know, it was a brother on faculty there for many years named Benjamin Quarles. And he actually wrote a book called The Negro in the American Revolution, about one of the first early books that dealt with the question of Black folks in revolution. But he also wrote, he's friends with Carter Woodson and them, he also wrote about the the possibilities of Black life in America in, at the cusp of the civil rights movement. And when Dr. King, particularly in that last book, Where Do, Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community? When he talks about the world community and the world house, You know, the idea of a Negro revolution or a a revolution of black folks, say, for example, in the United States, uh, a revolution of values, which he would talk about a lot, a revolution of, as we know, a revolution of um, transforming human society so that none go without at least basic needs met. King linked that to a larger global struggle for um, human rights, not only human rights, but for a transformed society, what he would call a beloved community, as we know. and, and, And he found himself, as we also know, particularly after 1965, he found himself confronted with a new generation of young people who had grown not only impatient, but who had... Uh, who had said, this thing has to be transformed on a global scale. And I'm thinking most specifically about the students and the Student Violence and Coordinating Committee. Uh, you know, one of the things Hedgeman and them agreed to with the March on Washington in 1963 was, it was the 100th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation. And the the motto that, that they had initially, the NAACP had, free by 63. hundred years after Lincoln, we're, we're going to be free by 63. SNCC came back with freedom now. In other mm. words, we have to push. And so what you see Dr. King doing, trying to engage that young energy and then being moved by it, whether it be Jesse Jackson on his staff, mm. whether it be Kwame Ture, Tony Carmichael outside, the SNCC boat, whether it be the young brother who confronts him as he talks about why he's against the war in Vietnam in 1967, when he says, you know, these guys looking at me saying, why are you talking about... Um, Uh, you know, these domestic concerns and what we should and shouldn't do in terms of tearing up these neighborhoods and these cities when they've sent my brother overseas to Vietnam. And he said, now I got to take on the greatest purveyor of violence, which is the country I was born in, 1967. That last year of his life, I think is very instructive finally for for this reason. As as Malcolm would say, the difference between the black revolution, which he saw as a global thing, and the Negro revolution, uh, ironically, black and Spanish, but he's talking about the American kind of context is, as long as we are engaged in our human rights struggle and our liberation struggles strictly on terms of domestic policy, we are going to miss the larger point. I think this is something Coloma's really was really gesturing toward, Gary. And finally, I'll say this we know the revolution has not taken place because change has not taken place. As Coloma said, these institutions continue to reform and adapt themselves to maintain power. We have to decide that it's more important to. Build solidarity movement based on common principles than it is for any one or small group of us to negotiate with the existing system and the existing hierarchy for a little bit of access for ourselves and a handful of others. That model has failed. And that's why I say a 1619 project and a 1620 project conceptually haven't yet demonstrated that they are they are different enough for us to say, okay, this is a path. I'm not saying that, that that they are the same, they are not the same in terms of concept, but this system has to be remade. And that means that we, we got to renegotiate the terms with capitalism or get rid of it completely. We have to, and that begins not only at the bird's eye level, dealing with federal policy, building consensus, driving people out of representative positions or elective office when they're not going to do what we want them and need them and demand them to do. It also means at the same time, organizing locally, organizing locally and knitting together. And and moments like this, where we had these conversations every Saturday, this is just a point of departure. And for many people, finally, a reminder. Because after all, it's not like we're dealing with oracles here. We're not sitting here spewing (laughs) for That's not what this is. This is a conversation (laughs) driven by memory. So I'll stop with that, brother. I hope that's, well, that, you know, I appreciate y'all, man. We, this is just the beginning of the conversation. Yes,
2: bro. absolutely. I appreciate it too, Dr. Carl. Um, this is, again, an honor. And um definitely going to read. No, no, all mine, all mine. So I appreciate your time. Um, thank you.
1: No, brother, I thank you. Look, I went to Tennessee State. So we state, HB, we public HBCU Negroes, brother. See, you got know, that solidarity, man.
0: All right. Okay, so we're three minutes over what I Thought I want like I'm trying to keep these to two two hours, Doctor Carr. Karen, Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I think it's your your. Um, it must be
1: me. Okay, yeah. then, good. Okay. Here, I'm good.
0: All right. Um. So thank you. I want to say thank you to everybody. We're going to end here. If anybody wants to ask a question, follow me on Twitter at Karen Hunter. Uh, let me know. I'm going to pick two or three every single week as we move towards 2021. What what's going to come next, which will be, you know, I I think even more, this is evolving. So for all the folks that are like, Oh my God, you know, like we didn't know this was going to be this. And now that we know what this is, it could be even more. But as as Dave said, you're the boss. That's what Dave said. You're the boss. You're the the one that's going to determine where we go and what we do. You have the power. And I think that when we understand that we can't be stopped.
1: Karen, not, that's the truth. I know. No, that's the truth.
0: I know Doma. I know you're a Doma. In no, the world. no, not no, no. America. You're a Doma in the, in the world, though. Yeah. You
1: have to know that. Uh oh. Where'd See, you go? Look at that. That knocked me off. I was trying to. I, I was trying to embrace it. And the ancestors was like, no. <laughs> Look, <laughs> Lies. Not, no. But you know what it was? I shouldn't even. Uh, the uh, uh, my buddy uh, Malik Zulu Shabazz just published this book. I, I You ever run across this brother right here? Kyle yeah. mommy. I oh, know yeah. you did in the Of streets. course. Of course.
0: You know his son, right? This you know his son. Out.
1: His son is a okay. I thought about it because, like you said, that summer that Dinkins ran against Koch. The summer that uh Fight to Power came out. And the video Fight to Power from the from the uh from the uh the song, the album, the, the song. All those young people in the streets there in Harlem, I remember. You know, I wasn't, obviously I wasn't there for the filming of Fight the Power, but the placards, you see the pictures of Adam Clayton Powell, you see the pictures of Martin Luther King, Paul Robeson, you see all, you see all these different states represented like they at a political convention, you see Tawana Brawley out there, you see the Nation of Islam, you see all these folks here. That was 1989. And I remember after the Million Man March, when everybody came here to D.C. in 95, then they had a Million Youth March in Harlem. And, I, and that's why I made me think of this book and, and, and Malik, because Khaled was still alive. And I remember we all went up, and the energy, now this isn't when we're talking about ideology or differences, debates. In fact, the, the first and last time I got to spend any time with Tupac, it was with Khaled. Come on, we were at Indianapolis Black Expo, which actually feeds to this year's 1993. There, there was a, and remained, th- th- there was an energy that feels to me similar right now. You know, this next generation of folks are feeling what we felt. And as as we come into our maturity, I think one of the things we have to pay very close attention to is how we have these intergenerational conversations so that it isn't fighting between generations. This takes us back to something we talked about months ago. Jacob Carruthers in his book Meta Nature talks about this whole this is a worldview difference. You know, in the West, you often see generations fight each other. In fact, it's almost like you got to annihilate the generation in front of you. That's that's not not a way human beings build societies. Even when you disagree with those who are in previous generation, you can learn from them. And there's got to be a framework of respect. There's got to be a framework of understanding. And finally, the thing that we can't do, which is another reason I held this book up, what we can't do is decide we're going to excommunicate people from the conversation based on what some external force has decided is best for them. Hmm. We're just not going to do that. I mean, you know, I mean, what y'all mean? I mean, if I was to say, oh, you know, I didn't know Khalid Muhammad, they're going to dig up a picture anyway. And why the hell would I say that? I did know him. Argued with him, debated with him, laughed with him drove him to the airport, dropped him out. What you What you want me to do? I saw Minister Farrakhan last summer at the at the Encobra Conference in Detroit. The last time John Conyers, who was alive then, came and spoke about reparations, who pushed HR forty for years. I'm not gonna say I don't know the minister. I'm saying, but see, as a goody mob would say, "What you scared of? <laughs> <laughs> what you scared of? I mean, what, your master has never had your interests at heart." So take off them buckle shoes and them stovepipe hats and stop acting like you're a fake pilgrim and build together for common humanity. And if they're not going to come with you, it's no different than you going to the place and somebody ain't wearing their mask. You need to leave. Because <laughs> guess what? Maybe they'll get sick. Maybe they won't. And in fact, I, I should say this, Karen, and maybe this is, a, this is beyond, obviously beyond my bandwidth. Um, But I got some very close friends who are obviously medical doctors, researchers, and they're saying this whole 90 percent, 94 percent, 95 percent conversation that's being had in the media about these vaccines. That's it. it, it they say, well, I need to see the data because is that taking into uh, consideration asymptomatic carriers. Is this taking and, 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 the, and the Times actually had a good article on this a couple of days ago. But, you know, one thing is for sure. If you're not wearing your mask, you're in danger of other people there are people in this society that have just decided what they believe is more important than you. The least we can do is take the same stance. <laughs> if our stance is going to be, we want you to be well too, but I'm not about to let you kill me. I'm not a sacrificial lamb. I'm just not going to do that. So anyway, I should stop there. <laughs> Get and some that, you know,
0: a vaccine's not a cure. <laughs> Wear your mask. Wear your
2: and
0: mask. We'll see you next week. God bless. Yes, I want everybody to be safe and healthy. And I want to thank everyone that came into class today. Thank you for the thumbs up and the subscriptions and the shares. And thank you, Dr. Carr. I love you so much. I
1: love you. I love you as well. I was looking, uh, thank you. Thank you, Sister Karen. Thank you, Professor Hunter. I in fact, I was looking for I don't would you, see it. Which is the book? What? Yeah, no, my um my buddy. Uh, One of my former students, who's uh, the chair of the history department at University of Virginia, Claudrina Harold. Man, this is a bad young sister right here. Filmmaker, scholar, really something. Oh, in addition, she was like one of the baddest two guards in the history of the Big Five in Philadelphia. That's why I met her. She was undergraduate at Temple. She just published her latest book. It's called "When Sunday Comes." Okay, I'll I'll drop it. I'll drop it in the description. Okay, good. All the other books. When what's it what's it called? It's called "When." Sunday comes. It's a history of gospel music. And you know, you know, we grew up during the age with Andre Crouch and all them cats. Well, James Cleveland, women. yeah. Oh, oh no, it's the history of that, that generation that comes really after um, uh, Claire Ward and them. So like James Cleveland is a figure, but it's the history of gospel music in the 70s, 80s, and up into now. And for a lot of people, particularly young people, you love the new stuff and it's great. What Claudrina did is build the bridge she says my obligation because young people don't don't understand and this isn't because they, you know it's ignorance and i'm using ignorance the way that uh actually anna hedgman writes in her book she said when i say ignorance it means something i don't know yet yes you know what I'm saying? it's all this creativity we're seeing now including that political creativity is built on momentum that never stopped so i'm, I'm gonna read when sunday comes today so i can get my religion back because i've been talking about college and them who grew up in a Christian church, but anyway, that's the whole story for another day. Maybe we have to get Malik. (laughs) So I love you so much. I love you you. too. All right.
0: I'll see you next week. Bye
1: everybody.